brought it in on the wing, a pass in, in front of the goalie, score! Nylander on a brilliant play by Galchenyuk, and he has scored in four consecutive games. Galchenyuk back the other way, man going hard to the net, they score! Jason Spezza, and Galchenyuk has made two glorious passes, Alex Galchenyuk. His best game as a Toronto Maple Leafs throws a dagger into the hearts of the team that drafted him in the first round. One, two, on the way. Fastball and a swing and a miss to get him. And Romano finishes off the Yankees by striking out Gardner. The losing streak is over. And night in and night out, pro sports, you love it, you'll break your heart. I, I don't know when the last time is, Ziggy, that the Toronto Maple Leafs beat the Montreal Canadiens in a playoff game on the same night that the Blue Jays beat the Yankees. Actually, I do know. <laughs> I just thought of it now. <laughs> Blue, Jays, Blue Jays didn't exist in 1967, so it couldn't have happened then. First time in history that... The Maple Leafs beat the Habs in a playoff game on the same night that the Blue Jays take on the marquee franchise in Major League Baseball and and take them down. And, and obviously, we'll start with, with Toronto. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens can't score goals. William Nylander can. And the Maple Leafs, outside, I think, of the final half of the first period, and in, that was in large part because they took two penalties, I thought the Maple Leafs pushed the pace and once again showed, Ziggy, that they are clearly the better team here. And winning this series in five is very much realistic as we sit here this morning. Yeah, and I'm not looking for a better team, <laughs> Leafs Habs. We all know they should win. We all know they're better on paper. They have better players. They're coming into the playoffs in a better position. Things have all been clicking outside of the power play. Questions in net have been answered. And... This is now a new team, right? We're not looking for, well, who's been better? Who's playing this? Who's playing where? Let's be honest with ourselves. We want to know, is this the same Leaf team that we've seen in the playoffs the last number of years? Struggled against Boston, couldn't get by Washington, can't get by a lesser Columbus team. And is it going to be a different year? And they've answered those questions. And I know the first round isn't over and it's three to one, but let's like the, this series is over. They're, wait, wait Canadians, for the only wait for the it's only Montreal crap to start coming up too. Yeah, I oh yeah, for sure. I, I said Montreal was going to be a tougher out than they were. And they came out and won the first game. And when Carey Price is on they're going to be tough to beat. He's letting in the odd goal, and I'm not putting the, the, these games on on Carey Price, but when he doesn't make these miraculous saves, it's there's really no chance for Montreal in any of them. And Montreal, we talked about the scoring. It's, it's for real. Like, it's for real. They have trouble scoring now. Like, it's, I, I, I don't know. They didn't have much, and it's, it's a little bit for me of, of a couple things. One, they just haven't had it. They haven't had the scoring all year. Two, I didn't like the fact that it took three games to get Cole Caulfield in for them. And the third thing is the Leafs are playing good defense. Like 
they're they're responsible in their own end. It's more attention to detail. Guys are working hard on that end. It's not all about individual stats. And I know we're going to sit here this morning and talk about Matthews and Marner and where are they. It's a collective team thing where everybody has bought in. Old, young, 20 minutes a night, eight minutes a night, coming in the lineup for a game, sitting out, coming back in the lineup. Like there's so many different ways the Leafs are committed to the defensive side. You mix that in with a team that struggles to score and they're going to end up four, nothing five, one. Like that's, that's the way these games are going to end up. I'm, I'm not, I'm not surprised at all by this. Um, I don't expect Montreal to go quietly either. So is the series over? Well, they were a massive favorite to start. We just, we figured, I figured that the Canadians would give them a little bit of a fight and they look like they look like a team that that has no confidence and just they can't get anything going, and it's partly them and who they have and the injuries and Weber's obviously not hundred percent and if Carey Price is not the best player on the ice they're going to struggle. But th- for me, this first series was: is this team different than we've seen in the past? And I don't know how you can think otherwise. This is a different team. Tax lines are open at 590-590. Uh, Richard Shrivels in Coldwater, our old buddy, he's back at it. There's lots of joy in Mudville today with an exclamation point. Shout out to Richard Shrivels in Coldwater, Ontario. We like that. To your point about this being a different team, Ziggy, what's the one thing that always seems to happen with a group that's having success at this time of year? It isn't just the star players, and sometimes it's not the star players. Like, if I throw it back to 2002, 19 years ago, where the Leafs went to the Eastern Conference final, ended up losing to Carolina, there are two names that roll right off of people's tongues, not including Curtis Joseph, who was very good and very important. Gary Roberts and Alan McCauley, right? Because Matt Sundin missed a significant chunk of time in the playoffs. Darcy Tucker, others got hurt that year. And even though the Leafs didn't even make it to the Stanley Cup final, they went out in six games against Carolina in the Eastern final, made it to the final four. Those two players are identified with that playoff run. Well, you said it, Jack Campbell. They have settled the goaltending issue. They've settled the goaltending issue to the point here that barring an unforeseen disaster over the next three games in this series... Jack Campbell is going to be their starting goaltender next year with a salary cap hit of $1.65 million. Doesn't that free you up? For the boys. To do some other things. You can even bring in more of the boys. You can bring in more of the boys with more of the money that's available. So there's that. Alex Kerfoot having a hell of a series. Alex Galchenyuk, the empty netter, he deserved that last night. Two different types of elite setups. The backhand setup on the backhand goal by William Nylander and then a saucer pass to Jason Spezza that was absolutely beautiful. And then William Nylander, who is part of the core four, has been this team's best player night in and night out through the four games of this series. I just gave you four names. Campbell, Kerfoot, Galchenyuk, and Nylander without Tavares and without Felino, without his line mates stepping up. That's what you need. They were good. That whole line, like they, Nylander was excellent. Again, I, I, he's the best player on the ice and he's been the best player on this Leafs team the whole series. 
And what's worked for him? I know when we watch the games, we see the goals and the assists, and we base how good a player is. And I understand that. For half the guys on the ice, this is a results-based business, and if you're not producing, you're not going to play, you're not going to get the contracts, and we're not going to talk about them and praise their play. But how does Nylander get there? When you're a coach on the bench and you're watching the game, or if you're a general manager or president, what are you doing for me when things aren't going well, when you're not scoring, you're not producing? And for a lot of scorers and a lot of the top-end guys in the league, usually it's a lot of nothing, right? We've sat here before, and we've talked about Nylander during the regular season, where it's like if the guy's not scoring for us, what else is he doing? And he has vanished. But why has he been good so far? He moves his legs. When he does that, he's effective. He doesn't need to score, but he makes the team better, makes guys in his line better. When he works hard, things good things happen for you on the ice, and it includes Nylander. You mix those two things with energy, and I'm going to keep talking about the three things he's doing, why he's successful, good things happen to you as a hockey player, and he's doing them. This is like, this is the Nylander when he broke into the the league, the guy I'm used to seeing. And we talk about it. When a guy signs his big contract, what happens? And we've sat here so many mornings and said, well, it is life-changing. Some guys do taper off a little bit. You do see some guys that struggle with the big contract, whether it's the expectation, whether it's the lifestyle changes, whether, you know, you can kind of take a breath in your career. Listen, in the NHL level, there's no breast. There's no, okay, let me dip my toe in and see what it's like. This is a league that's hard every single night. And if you don't show up, it just doesn't happen. And I hope Nylander sees the difference of him in this playoffs versus the times during the regular seasons, during the regular season in multiple seasons and in, in former past playoffs where we've sat here and we've wondered like where, where's the player that we know. And you can look to the last two playoffs where he hasn't been this player. And now that he is doing all these things, it's paying off and everybody sees it in the goals and the assists and the production. But it's more than that. Like if Nylander hasn't scored in any of these games, I'm sitting here and talking about him the same way as everybody else. Probably not because we all want to see the goals and we all want to see the production, but he's doing a number of things and he's been good in his own end too. good defensive pressure is responsible. He's not jumping to the zone. He's buying in and he's not the only one. It's a multi, it, it's a lot of players on this team, but for me, the fact that he's physical and he's trying to throw his weight around, he's not going to run guys through the boards. He's not going to knock anybody out of the game. And that's a tough team to play against Edmondson trot Weber like that's a big back end and he's going out there and he doesn't look scared he's throwing his weight around he's physical he's getting in the corners he's getting his nose dirty goes to the front of the net and good things happen I just think him and Galchenyuk there's something there like you, you I think there's a I, like that the first goal I'd love that play curve it over the line kind of drag up hold up and wait thread it through to Galchenyuk Galchenyuk knows he's got a D on him doesn't really have a good shot in the net. And he sees he sees Nylander coming in before he even gets the puck. Um, I don't know if you want to get into Galchenyuk too. I, I, uh, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, I said before the start of the series, he's in for me. And hey, 
I'll be the first to admit, has he been good during the season when he came in? Yes, really good. Did I expect this? Absolutely not. I said he was good enough to be in the lineup every night. I didn't think he was a permanent solution to find the left winger for Tavares and Nylander, but he's played better than I expected, and he deserves to be in the lineup. I don't think there's any question at this point. Like, if if when Felino and Tavares come back, who comes out for you? Like, I don't think Elchenik's one of the two players that come out if both of them come back. Yeah, I... I... I'm not going to jump into that pool yet because I, I just I won't believe that John Tavares is back until we actually. I'm not saying he's come back either. Yeah. But I'm saying if both of those guys come back, who are your two guys that come out of the lineup? Like, it can't be a Galchenyuk, and you can't just say because he put the empty net. In. You take even last night out of the equation, he's in the lineup. You just he brings something they don't have. You don't want to take Engvall out at this point either. Like, is nah, it, he's it, play. He's been playing good. Got to be Brooks. Engvall's been good. I, and yeah. and that's no slag on Adam Brooks. It's just. Yeah, he came in, played well. Somebody's coming came in. in. Somebody's got to come out. That's yeah. that's that's just the way. That's just the way that it goes. Yeah, I mean, we're getting texts saying, "Can you think of another Leaf at any point who has burned his former team the way that Gelchenyuk did last night at this time of the season?" I mean, I'd have to rack my brain mm. to go through that. But I mean, I I think again. Among all the lists, like Jack Campbell has never been a starting goaltender in the National Hockey League. He is solidifying himself as a number one. Alex Galchenyuk, Ziggy, I mean, this guy was a cat, clearly on his ninth life. Like, and, and there wasn't a number 10. And he has come into Toronto, and he absolutely has earned himself a contract in the National Hockey League next year, I think, with his performance with the Maple Leafs. Probably not a long-term contract, but why wouldn't somebody? And it may very well be the Leafs if the price is right. He, resign, resign, he resigns here. Yeah. That's my guess right now. He fit. comes back. He's a fit. And he probably does it on a one- or a two-year contract. I mean, you're not giving him the Radulov treatment down there in, in Dallas where a guy has a good year, year and a half, looks engaged, and then he ends up with a five- or six-year deal. Like, that ain't happening. But if, he, if, if the term and the dollar fit, this is... This is the place for him to play. He, he's he's found a home here. This is what gives me confidence. And look, Winnipeg, If assuming the Leafs get past the Habs, I think it's going to happen tomorrow night. But then I've been speaking confidently all series. I, I picked him in five. I stuck to it after the game one loss and the, the fright and the sadness over the Tavares situation. Um, didn't think I'd necessarily be right, but realized I had to stick to my guns. Uh, and now there's a chance of that. They need to end this series tomorrow night to give themselves a little bit of rest. Obviously, Winnipeg is sitting back and waiting. And if this goes six or seven, they're going to jump right into the next series when this one ends because the North Division schedule-wise is slightly behind every other division. So they're going to want to, the NHL, I would imagine, align the playoffs and get the games won underway pretty much around the same time. So if you want some rest, get it out of the way tomorrow night. But I, I think the underlying stories here are what is positive for this team. They've got a youthful mix with a veteran mix. The power play showed signs of life in game two. They're killing penalties. I mean, Mitch Marner has not been at his best, but he's he, he's he's their go-to guy, one of their go-to guys on the PK. Everybody is contributing in some way to this effort. And, and I think for a guy like Nylander, you get confidence scoring a goal early in a series, and he's carried it all the way through. 
And like I said, different people contributing in different ways. They're on the upswing here. And if anybody wants to text or tweet and say this is just Montreal, well, I don't know. You win this series, you gain a little bit of confidence, you exercise the demon of having never won a playoff series as a group, and then it's onward and upward against Winnipeg, and you see what you've got against the Jets. But so far, it's all systems go. Yeah, and Marner and Matthews, and that's going to be the other focus right now, is what are they doing? And you don't you don't need them right now. Like, I know how ridiculous that sounds, but I've talked to you about this in other playoff years. Like, there's lots of stars that start the playoffs slow. That happens. And it's about getting the, it's about getting by the first, that first round and you let guys play a couple games. You let guys sink into the playoffs and then they, they get going. So I'm not too concerned about Matthews and Mark because, you know, I, I think they've been good, but we're obviously going to look at the ledger. We're going to look at the stat sheet and say, well, how come, where are they? Why aren't they showing up? Why is it zeros across the board? And I just, I don't, I don't, these aren't the games where you really need them. You need them when it matters. Okay. Last night was not one of those games where if they didn't show up, the Leafs were in trouble. They had that game handled. I just, Matthews and Marner aren't hurting the team. And that's all that matters when they start hurt. That's the thing. It's like, okay, you're not playing your best. I get it. You're not going to play great every night. You struggle against a certain team. Fine. I understand that. You start the playoffs slow. Well, it's okay. We're, you know, we're used to get into the second and third round. This team's at that level. So there's a number of different ways to look at what's happening with Marner and Matthews. And it's been different than other players in past playoff years where when they haven't showed up, and I'm not talking about Matthews and Marner. This is for everyone, including Nylander, where there have been players when they haven't been at their best, they've actually hurt the Leafs. The Boston series from a couple years ago, and I don't want to keep bringing up old past years, but if we're going to try to compare what Matthews and Marner are doing to past years of the other stars in this team, this is a different year. They're doing other things. Like you said, Marner's been good on the PK. Matthews last night is 14 and eight on draws, both logging a lot of minutes. The power play still last night, it's still missing something. And I know Sandine didn't play and wasn't on it. And they're going to keep trying different things out. But I I just think with Matthews and Marner, like don't, if once they start, if they hurt the team, then I'll have that conversation with you, but they can't play great every night. They're not going to score every night going forward after the Canadians. This might be a situation where they get shut down and it's who else is going to come in. Who else is going to come to play? Who else is going to produce? Is it going to be Nylander, Galchenia, Kerfoot going forward? Is it going to be the fourth line? Are we still going to get the contributions from Spezza and Thornton? So I know they've been quiet in this series, but this happens a lot, especially Canadians. Like you're trying to tell me the focus isn't on Matthews and Marner every single game. Let me tell you, if I'm a coach getting ready for them, that's my biggest headache and biggest worry where it's like, if I take care of them, I'm actually, if I'm Montreal, I'm kind of happy with what I've done in these games. The fact that I've, I, I've kind of neutralized those well, two. What's what's the difference between the Maple Leafs and the Oilers, Ziggy? They have Mc, depth. They McDavid have other players that can get it done. Got neutralized, and what happened, to Edmonton? 
I do will know? say this though. I'm not, I don't even want to compare what Matthews and Marner are doing to McDavid and Drysaddle because it's not that Matthews and Marner have been playing bad. I, I don't think McDavid and Drysaddle played that well in their series. Right. Well, and you pointed out the yeah. the giveaway by McDavid on the yeah, game time on the goal, goal in just, game four. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you can say, well, there was a whole zone that Edmonton wasn't covering and you know that's that puck was 180 feet away from their own net. But those are big plays. Like that it was just that was a lackadaisical play by the best player in the game. And it can't happen. Like that's what the the playoff playoff overtime is about the smallest what mistake your team's changing puck goes the other way those pucks go in um I I, I didn't think McDavid and Drysdale were very good in that series I know they played well in the one game and McDavid had that awesome wraparound goal but I I thought they were very average like I, I I thought they were average in this in in the in the four games and they're not gonna win it wasn't like Winnipeg went out of their way and really shut those guys down Yes, I give Winnipeg some credit, and they're a really good team, and I feel like I talk about them a lot more than a lot of other people, but you need more to McDavid and Dreisaitl on those situations. Marner, Matthews, once they get going here, watch out. Gilmore burned St. Louis, that from a 905 number. So uh, we were talking earlier about Leafs like Gelchenyuk who came back and burned their former teams in a playoff series or in a playoff game. You were at that game, Dougie. The wraparound overtime goal, game one in '93. Yeah, it was that was it game one or game two? I forget. It was game I don't one. Even remember? Yeah, it was count. game one in yeah. overtime. I remember it so well. Yeah, that's yeah. A, you know, you know, yeah. You know, you know. Dougie posted his ticket from the night, like he had a ticket stub, and I actually went through all my tickets and and pulled it out. I was gonna. Sorry, what? Take Dougie a had a Dougie had a ticket stub. From, from the game, game and like one the, against the, St. Louis, and the, yeah, and I have mine. So he must I, have had took, family there or something. Yeah, family, or you, yeah. you keep collectibles of different tickets. So I, I, I keep all my tickets, and I was gonna take a picture of it and post it on Twitter, but I was like, oh, you know what, it's all right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I remember that like, like it was yesterday. You should just start posting Gosh. like old stuff you've got. Ziggy's, yeah. Ziggy's memorabilia, like a daily Ziggy's I, memorabilia. Was, I used to have uh, my basement used to be filled. The walls were covered, and then I, I didn't live here for a couple years, so the, the house got rented out to to use it. So, um, let friends stay here, family members. So I, I wasn't here and kind of boxed everything up. But yeah, maybe pull some stuff out and and you know start throwing on social media and stuff. Yeah, I got I got some cool stuff, but a, a lot of it's given away. A lot of sign sticks, frame sticks. Like I had my walls covered. And I gave a lot of it away for you know, different charities and events I go to. But yeah, it was my basement was like a museum down there. <laughs> Texas to 590-590. Uh, keep them coming. We will read them. We got a jam-packed hockey show this morning. Jeff Merrick at 735. Catherine Tappan, uh, host for NBC Sports. She'll be along at the top of the 8 o'clock hour. Adnan Verk at 815. We will pivot to the Blue Jays at 8.35 for our weekly visit with the voice of the Blue Jays here on Sportsnet, Dan Schulman. I think there is a Nylander and Vladdy Guerrero comparison to get to. We will Mm -hmm. do that a little bit later on in the show. I'll explain my theory on that one. If you were totally hockey-focused, Leafs-focused last night, the Blue Jays did win. They did use their two best relievers in a non-save situation, but I didn't have a problem with it because the other relievers probably would have quickly turned it 
into a safe situation if they'd pitched. But anyway, the six-game losing skid is over. We'll get into the Nylander and Vladdy comparison. And Gord Stelic, the co-host with Nick Alberga of Leafs Nation pre and post here on Sportsnet 590. The fan will join us next. That's a big back end. Text lines are open at 595.90. Dan in Georgetown is looking for some clarification, Ziggy. He's saying you rented your house to family members? Wow. Uh, yeah. What am I supposed to do? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he like thinks I you should have let them live there for free. I don't know. That they just, it's just... I actually, I actually, once upon a time, I rented my house out to my cousin, and I, and I actually did charge him. Because I knew he would trash my place. <laughs> well, now, we're into, his, chicken, now we're into chicken and egg. Would he trash your, did he trash your place because you made him pay? Or did like, you make no, him no. pay because you knew he was like, going to trash it? No, I knew he wasn't going to cover any of the utilities. I knew there would be damage. Like... I think I charged him like a thousand bucks a month. Like it didn't even. It's nothing it didn't in even, Toronto. I know it didn't. It's a full. It was like it didn't even cover the expenses. I just was like, I, I wanted to give him the money back at the end, but it ended up costing me money. So I was just like, yeah. you know what? And I yeah, think I, I think I, I think Dan, Dan in Georgetown. I think we got to be clear on this. I mean, if somebody needs a place to stay for a few weeks because they've fallen oh, on hard times or that. whatever, that's no, one thing. Was, he, but I think he was here a couple. He was here a, couple, a at least a year. I mean, that's been a it's been a while, but. Um, what I mean, like friends, I just, I, I've had people rent my house in the past and I've become friends with them where they come here for work and whether I was away during the season, like I've rented my house out with, with all my furniture in it before and everything. It wasn't like I cleaned my house out. They used all my stuff. Um, and yeah, you become friends with them. Like I've had a lot of people come in for six months. Like I'm okay with my house being right. Like there's some people that wouldn't allow anybody on their couch they wouldn't allow anybody to walk in their place that's just their space I, I don't know if it's the fact that i've moved 40 different times and i've lived in 10 different cities in three different countries while playing playing the game but i'm okay moving around staying at people's houses people stay like i've had so many friends stay at my house um without me even here uh i i've dropped my like okay if you want to say well how could you pay okay you know, you charge people for it. No, I got to defend myself now because I'm getting just attacked. Are you getting? But like, but I, I you're getting I'll all these texts and tweets now. Nice. I, I've had, I've had friends come into the city where I haven't been able to pick them up from the airport and take care of them, where I've let them stay at my place. And I don't even do that. I've gone to the extent where I've dropped my car off at the airport parking lot and left it there for them taking a cab home or board another car from a friend of mine. So my friends that fly into the city have a car to drive. Look That's what you. I do for my friends. I yeah. like it. Boom. <laughs> just don't let it be Ryan Beta because he might barf in your car. There <laughs> yeah, you go. Definitely not. Don't uh, let Ryan Gord Beta Stelic is the co-host of Leafs Nation pre and post with Nick Alberga here on Sportsnet 590, the fan. And uh, the Leafs with a 4 nothing win last night. 3 nothing plus the empty netter at the end. Huge night for Alex Galchenyuk. Another great night from William Nylander and his first career playoff shutout. 
Jack Campbell. Uh, this series, Gord, I think is tracking the way a lot of us felt that it would. What's most encouraging is that very early on in this playoff run, and who knows how long it's going to last, it isn't that we're circling Matthews and Marner and going, oh, my God, those two guys are carrying this team. The Leafs have suffered attrition with Tavares and Felino, and they are getting performances out of names like Nylander, who is a part of the core, and then the Kerfoots and the Galchenyuks of the world. There are nice stories emerging here, and guys are gaining confidence early in the playoffs. No question, the depth, the depth. You know, and I, I said, when you look back to the, you know, the Pat Quinn era, there were names like Travis Green and, and Gary Volk and, and Sergey Barrison and, and Alan McCauley, you know, that if you look at the statistics for those playoffs, there were some depth guys that came through, and that's something that's been lacking. And, you're, you know, your bank, here we are. So, again, up 3-1, you would say, okay, up 3-1. Uh, what was the game that uh, Marner, Hyman, and Matthews went to town and scored four goals? Well, none. None of those games. You game know, those guys five. have played well. Wait. Yeah. Well, maybe game five. That's <laughs> you right. never know. Game five. The different storylines each game, um, you know, is great. Like, like last night, like game three, I thought they were really hanging on at the end, 14-2. There's no question about it. Even though they were tied 0-0 last night, I really liked – I really liked the narrative to that game. I, I liked the way it was playing out. There just was a confidence about it. There was this kind of way about, okay, uh, we're the better team and we're showing the better team every which way. It's back-to-back games, so you're able to put a fourth line that plays at least 12 minutes each, the players, right, uh, able to do that, and your third line more and balanced and roll them. And Montreal just didn't, didn't seem like could get one line going, and the Maple Leafs really seemed to get every combination going. Was last night more about, well, Montreal just can't score, and that's been an issue at the end of the season, and now it's carried over into the playoffs, and Cole Caulfield hasn't been in the lineup, and all of a sudden he's the only guy that's providing offense? Or is this more about the Leafs, the fact that they've all bought in? This isn't just a good defensive core or the fact that Jack Campbell's been solid in net. This is really a collective effort from all four lines, the fact that everybody has bought in. Yeah. The last one, the last one, yeah. I, I, you know, everyone always says a little bit of both. No, it's the last one. I, I, they, they set up in the 56 game regular season, kind of a commitment about a lot of things to, you know, to, to be the best team in the division, do the big things and little things. And um, when they've been flying, which was most of the regular season, it's been the whole buy-in to the team, uh, team defense, Iggy. I just really, and I thought last night was a perfect example. Like I, I just think, you know, Montreal just never got going, and there just was where the game before it was Jack Campbell being more spectacular. Last night, really, the the the, the team defense just kept you know kept clogging the Montreal Canadiens down, and then also you saw you know a few stretch passes, taking some chances, got a few chances early that didn't score, uh, that didn't deter them, just kept at it that way. So uh, I, I just thought it was the it, it's the uh, impressive Leafs team that they put together in the regular season and got the results in the regular season that we saw last night. With Gord Stellick on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. I, I, I went Leafs and five to at the start of the series. I think it's going to play out that way. We know Montreal is going to put up a fight, but, but I do think the Leafs will take the Habs out tomorrow night. It's always interesting. I think it happens less in baseball, Gord, just because in normal seasons, so few teams do make the playoffs, but it certainly happens in the NHL and definitely in the NBA. You can really see who the top teams are 
and you can see the teams that just snuck into the playoffs. Like, there isn't a planet right now, regardless of what happens here over the next three games, where I can envision the Montreal Canadiens giving any kind of push to the Colorado Avalanche or the Boston Bruins. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, there's nothing there. There's just nothing there right now. No, no, you're you're right, and you know you extract such a physical toll in the playoffs, and you think now that when you're down three to one, it's not just starting the series afresh and going at it and sticking your nose in it more. And it, it, uh, uh, and and I think the I think we're back to the real playoffs again. The bubble was kind of a one-off, and you saw some weird things there because of really you were playing the playoffs in exhibition season. It was just, but you needed to do that to get it through. And you know that's why the stat that I, I wasn't fully aware of. Scott was the last eight times the Maple Leafs have been up 2-1 they had not been able to go up 3-1 it, it would be 2-2 and it seems like you know so many series that's where it goes and you get to the best two out of three and it goes six or seven games and it's exciting that way but once you even saw it with Edmonton and, and Winnipeg yeah you know it sounds great to to battle back and you know we're going to try our best the Edmonton Oilers but no you just you just get you get caught in a in a in a wave that it's just hard to swim against the tide that way and uh you know, so, so Montreal Montreal could, I want to say steal one, Montreal could win the fifth, whatever, but you're, I, I, not the sixth. Like, it's just, it's, just, it's just gone that way in the Toronto Maple Leafs' favor, and I agree with you. When you're like, like some about baseball, that there's more of that ability that way to, you know, maybe do it. But right now, you just, it's, it's just you watch a team being overpowered. There's just a, there's just a real physical component about in the game of hockey that's so obvious. Adam Brooks came in for Riley Nash and you had Travis Dermott coming in for uh, Rasmus Sandy. And I was wondering what you thought of those moves yesterday and kind of what, what the reasons were behind it. We haven't really talked about it much yet this morning, but um, just, just wondering your thoughts on that Gord. Yeah, I, I like them both. And, I, you know, maybe he used to, maybe Sheldon Keith used the back-to-back. I'm glad he didn't use it for uh, taking Jack Campbell, resting him, but put the other guys in. I mean, Travis Dermott's a guy you're, um, unless he gets claimed in the expansion draft, because he could be a logical guy that could be exposed and claimed. But, you know, you're going to have to you know, grow this young defense and that. And he played he played well in the regular season, a bit of a bounce-back year for him. So, And Brooks, I thought, I mean, I've really liked him in the small spurts in the regular season. So uh, I like that he keeps that revolving door. Like he always kind of makes it a challenge, a competition to get out there and, and also to make those guys, you know, feel a part of it. I don't mean feel a part of it in a good sentimental way, but just, you know, you're, you're going to be needed. You're going to be needed all these kind of, particularly if you start going deeper and deeper. So uh, I was glad he made those moves. And certainly last night was all hands on deck. Yeah. I was miffed initially at the Sandine thing. And then I ended up in a long conversation throughout the course of the evening with Rachel Dory, who, has done a lot of work with the New Jersey Devils in the past. And she was saying, look, Travis Dermott is one of the Maple Leafs better five on five defenders. And at this point in his career, Rasmus Sandin isn't anywhere close. And given that the power play didn't produce much in game three, and the fact that Sandin is playing less than 10 minutes at even strength in the games that he has been in, in this series, and the fact that it's a back to back situation, it's the right time to get a Dermot in. Because I think I oversimplified it, and I thought to myself, Gord, well, they've won two in a row here. Like, why are you tinkering with the lineup so much? But as we saw, I mean, it worked out just fine. Travis Dermot played about 13 minutes and didn't hurt the team. 
Well, and, yeah, and, and then on the other side, the, the biggest tinkering is injuries, right? Obviously, John Tavares and Nick Foligno are two guys uh, you, you're not ever uh, contemplating taking out of the lineup. And, you know, you, so you see a Kerfoot move up, um, not because he's coming in, another guy's a healthy scratch, but necessity to move up a line and how well he played and Galchenyuk doing it as well. And, you know, so, I mean, there, there, there ends up being that feeling that we believe in all of you that you can contribute. And it's easier to have that feeling when you're winning, obviously. Uh, it gets kind of contagious. But, uh, I mean, that's been a big, big part of why they're up 3-1. You get back to the depth, and it's really been different guys. Hey, uh, Pierre Engvall kind of set the st- tone. He's a healthy scratch in game one, and game two he comes out, kicks butt, gets a goal. You know what? So, hey, put me in, coach, and when you put me in, you're going to get something out of me. Two other players have been talking about a lot, and uh, obviously they haven't been bad, but it, they haven't had the production that we're used to seeing in Matthews and Marner. Um is is uh, as like Scotty you know earlier? Sometimes it takes some of your stars to get going in the playoffs. And I was trying to look at comparisons of different years where, you know, as soon as a team gets going, it gives guys a chance to settle in the playoffs. Uh, are you concerned about Matthews and Marner at this point, or is this just you know they're still playing well? The puck's just not finding the back of the net. Yeah, you know, it was a game three at the end there where they hung on for dear life. They were on a lot. I didn't think I didn't think they played all that well defensively, but I think Sheldon at the end there. But Sheldon Keith just sort of showed the confidence that, hey, you're you know you're my you're my big guns, and uh, I'm going to go to the dance with you every single game that way. And uh, uh, I, I like that approach because because they are the big guns. But I, I think Matthews has been awesome. He hasn't got. Uh, the goals to show for it, but I think he's been, you know, a real stud on ice that way. I think in Marner and Hyman's case, uh, the offense should come because it hasn't. I noticed Marner was shooting a little bit more. I think a lot of it, you look to that two on one in game one where Josh Anderson kind of tracked him down and said, okay, go on, Mitchie, just, uh, you know, you do so many things great, but let's just, let's maybe get a few more shots at it that way because they're, you know, in the playoffs playing, playing pretty hard on it, knowing that you're not a shot first guy. So I'm not concerned about it all. I mean, they, you know, last night, because of their speed and skill and that, they were a big part in the overall team defense that Montreal wasn't getting a sniff. Well, we'll talk to you on Friday morning, Gord. I, I feel pretty confident in saying we'll be talking about a series win and a look ahead to Winnipeg. And if I'm wrong, well, we'll see fans in the stands on Saturday night. So I guess either way we don't lose. Well, and you know, who knows? Uh, will we see fans in the stands in, uh, in Toronto at some point as we hopefully mm-hmm. move forward? So that, that is uh, certainly another encouraging sight. So look forward to that. Uh, yeah, enjoy the hockey, guys. You bet. Well, uh, Leafs and Habs tomorrow night, Game 5, and Gord will join us again at this time on Friday morning. Gord Stellick is the uh, co-host with Nick Alberga of Leafs Nation pre and post here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Vladdy with another home run last night, his baseball leading 16th. The Blue Jays get a victory. Steven Matz was awesome. Alec Manoa makes his big league debut tonight. And on the Vladdy front, I think there's a fair comparison to William Nylander. We'll discuss next. Anthony in Hamilton, a former NHLer in his side hustle. This isn't the CFL. All right. This is uh, you renting your house to your family. Air Z and Z. 
I like that. Oh, I like it. Air Z and Z. <laughs> I got some renting stories if you want to talk about. I've rented my house out a couple of times to people I don't know, like long-term rentals, and I can tell you some stories that would make you cringe. Things that they oh my goodness. left behind, uh, markings on the every, wall. Uh, damage. Oh, it's... As some of them I can't even say on the radio. Use prophylactics. Like, I, it, it's just, I can't even, half of them I can't even say on the radio. And you even, wanted to be my latex salesman. I don't even think I would tell you in the commercial break some of the stuff. But yeah, I, I mean, every every place has it. I mean, you, you want to use your place, right? If you're not there and I'm renting in a different city, why? Like, I, I don't have an issue with it. I, I know that's, I have a lot of friends that like say, how could you rent your house out? I'm like, it's sitting there empty. We have we we have a housing problem in the city. Like, this is what you people know. People need places to live, and I'm not exactly like, <laughs> Bill, you know, putting a down payment on a private jet with right. making not, money on renting your house. Right. You're not you're not flying. It barely pays for the expenses. Right. You're not chartering a plane <laughs> no. to Nepal to no. climb your next mountain <laughs> off of no. the. <laughs> off of the proceeds of the rent no, that is being yeah. paid for your house at Kennedy in the 401 or wherever the hell you are. There you are. So what do you think of this, of uh, Vladdy Jr., who hit his 16th home run last night for the Blue Jays? Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. And William Nylander. So these are two players, Ziggy, who have been lightning rods in this city over the past few seasons. And I, I think there are dum-dums who just wrote Vladdy off as being crap and wrote Nylander off as being crap and whatever. I always felt that the criticism of Vladdy and Nylander was fair if it was coming from people who looked at the raw talent, who looked at the package and said, there's more to give. Mm-hmm. There's there's yeah. more to give. The, the complaint, and I think it's been a valid one about Nylander at times, is that his pendulum swings far to either side in terms of his engagement level at times. He has mm-hmm. been fully 100% engaged in this playoff series and his performance uh, both on the score sheet and in general reflect that. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. put the work in in the offseason to do what he needed to do to be ready to perform this year. And man, has it paid off the more there that people believed both of these guys had has shown up. I, so I think, I think there has been legitimate and fair criticism of those two players along that vein. The people who write them off and just get angry and lose their heads, that's stupid stuff. I'm talking about the legitimate and fair criticism. What we're seeing from Nylander in this playoff series and what we're seeing from Vladdy this season is what people have believed is within those guys for a number of years now. Well, that's the hard part, right? Is you see, you see the talent and then you say, well, it's, it's not so much, you know what? It's not so much even, uh, first off, I, I love the comparison. I think very similar uh, here in Toronto, both players, Vladdy and, and Nylander, but it's not so much that you see the talent and you say, well, where is it? The For me, when I see Vladdy and I see Nylander, I say, well, yeah, they're talented and I expect more, but it's like, who else in their position, what are they doing in the league? That's what it is for me. 
And I know we talked about Acuna. We talked about Tatis, right? And we say, well, Vladdy should be at, in their spot right now. Um, for Nylander, it's like, who else should be? Like, I, I feel like it's tougher to find a Nylander comparison of, of where that guy should be. Because Nylander, uh, I don't, like, is his skill not at where Matthews and Marner is? I think it's it's at an even higher level. So then you see Marner, right? Everything he does and the fact that he's the engine on this team and how many points he gets and he's killing penalties and he's engaged every night. And then Matthews with the goals. So you say, well, where's Nylander, right? And Matthews and, and, and Marner have had success. Obviously, they have low points of the season, but I don't think it gets to the point where you're saying, well, you know, it was Nylander a couple times in the playoffs that ever happened to Marner and Matthews. Like, I don't think it got there with those two players. So with Vladdy and Nylander, yeah, I think it's a great comparison, but it's not so much how much skill it's what other players are that good. Where are they at right now? And, you know, now, now they're two of the best in the game. Like Vladdy's the best hitter in the major leagues right now. Who's better? He's the best Nylander. Who's be He's been the best leaf. I, I think, has he been the best player in the playoffs? That's debatable. I think it's very hard with the four different divisions and no one's really seen each other, but he's up there for, you know, top five, six players I've seen play so far in these playoffs. Hugh Burl is wearing black. He might be a day or two early, but he'll jump in. We'll have the panel discussion. The Leafs say three games to one series lead and a big win for the Blue Jays last night. The Leafs will come home to try to wrap up the series with the Montreal Canadiens on Thursday night as they skate to an impressive four to nothing victory and Jack Campbell will shut the door and probably shut everybody up who thought someone else should play in back-to-back -back games. Jeff from Oakville on the text line to 590-590. I don't know how this has become a thing this morning. Ziggy rents his house. I'm now beginning to understand Doris's point of view. Yeah, because who knows what kinds of she's fed up with characters the characters she's fed up with Air Z and Z. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can <laughs> see that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> text lines have lit up, Zig. We'll have yeah. to keep them coming. Keep them coming to 590-590. Ziggy rents his house. I don't think that's that big a deal. <laughs> Charging family members. I mean, come on. That, that's, well, that's okay, a but what's the cutoff? That's true. If your brother or sister or somebody needs a place to crash for a little while. How removed? Right. It's like your fifth cousin three times removed. It's probably okay to charge them just a little bit of rent. Yeah. By the way. Um, you, you, you guys don't know. You guys, obviously, everything, your family members must be all. I have some family members that, let me just say, <laughs> I've seen the way they take care of their place. And if you saw the way they took care of their place, you would have charged them double what I charged. <laughs> yeah, but you also, mine. I know because you've talked about it, a lot of your family are Habs fans. I'm charging and they, them and these, double. And these cousins were, they're, well, there you go. And this is the whole, this is where it all went. It's that when I had one family member come in, they said, 
don't worry. I'll treat it like it's my own. I said, no, 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 no. Don't treat it like it's my, your own. Treat it like it's my house. Yeah. Yeah. Treat it like yeah. it's somebody else. We've seen you how you treat your own. Yeah. Uh, by the way. Yeah, so you're uh, wearing black. You no, know, it's dark blue. It's dark blue. Oh, is it the it, vinyl it, barriers or the what? shower curtains that separate it, us that make it look black yeah. over here? It's pretty okay. darn close to maple leaf blue, actually, come to think of it. Yeah, uh, they're done. They're done. It's just a matter of um, playing the the fifth game because they're contractually obligated to. Uh, but there's well, they're not coming back to win this series. They're well, they're not, not coming back to win the series, no. but... What if it goes six? You don't know. I mean, did was Minnesota going to Vegas and beating the Golden Knights? How are they going to win a game when they don't score goals? Well, that's a that's, good question. They, they scored four goals. They had that offensive outburst in game one where they had two. Hugh, if you were to describe how you feel this morning compared to how you felt when Jesperi Kakaniemi scored the game-opening goal in game two... So it was one nothing Montreal in the series yeah. and one nothing Habs in game two. Oh, my goodness. You were to was... describe your emotions now as compared to then. So that was Saturday around, what, 20 after 7, sure. 7.25. I was planning the parade route. Yeah. The usual. Actually, you don't have to plan a parade route in Montreal. It's just the usual route. That's the old joke. Uh I'm that's a very I, old joke now, by very, the way. Very, There's two generations yes, of Montreal yes, fans who don't know what that means. Uh, I, I went from the the ecstatic high to resignation. It's like the the, the five phases of grief. <laughs> I've just skipped right into resignation and acceptance. Uh, congratulations, Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, just good luck in the next round. Get your Workout gear ready and your sweat towel and all that. How many push-ups, by the way, did we agree on? Ten. Oh, ten. Okay. And one million eight hundred and seventy thousand million. Somewhere yep. in between those. Somewhere I could, between I could, ten and that number. I could probably knock out ten. Like in a row. Well, yeah. What? Ten push-ups. The whole point. Hugh, I thought this was like over like a week. The whole the whole point is getting you on the glass floor at the CN Tower. Nobody cares about the push-ups. That's good. It's watching you try to try to step on the glass floor and not have a complete and total Oof. panic attack. Okay. Let's play a little yay or nay. Okay. Let's do that. Yep. Right now. Bring up the music, Silent Vic. All right, yay or nay? Hypothetical or realistic scenarios? Uh, we yay them if we think they're going to happen. We nay them if if. We don't think they're going to happen. Here is year and a number one. It's been a historic series for William Nylander. Not many Maple Leafs in their long history have scored a goal in each of the first four playoff games in a playoff season. It's been a historic series for William Nylander, but the most important player on the ice is still Jack Campbell. Ziggy, year and a. I'm yaying that. Yay! Um, yeah, I just, there are so many questions around Jack Campbell coming into this. He had a great regular season, but that doesn't matter. You have a guy that hasn't proven himself in the playoffs. First round draft pick, and obviously the timeline for him, he thought he would be at this point earlier in his career. He's finally there. Uh, people had questions on him. You had a back-to-back -back game in the series so far. He's answered all those questions. He's looked great in net, and... This is the number one guy now. I, I I think anybody that's doubted him to this point, there there aren't any of them. So going forward, I, I don't think there's any kind of leash either. Like, I don't think this is a, a, a situation where he has a bad game and Freddie comes in. 
He's the guy. He's proved himself. He's had a lot of haters and a lot of doubters, and I just you got to give him credit. He's played excellent so far, and he's the most important player on the ice right now for the Leafs. Not surprisingly, I'm going to take a divergent point of view from one Michael Zygamanis. Um In this series, no, Willie Nylander is the most important player, only because Jack Campbell hasn't had to be. Hasn't have to have been? Had to be? You know what hasn't I mean. Hasn't had to be made yeah, sense. Okay, yep. good. Yeah, that good. Uh, because Jack Campbell hasn't been pressed and pushed and pressured by the Habs because they have no offense whatsoever. Zero. None. Zip. Nada. So I'll break the tie here. Okay. And I'm going to yay this one, and okay. here's why. Okay. And yes, I'll be that guy. <laughs> okay. Even though through the regular season I was his great defender, what if Frederick Anderson had let an ugly one trickle through that had given the Habs just that little bit of life? I do think Jack Campbell plays at the top of his crease. I think he challenges and fights for for sight and and for the puck. I think your goaltender is always your most important player in the playoffs. He's been outstanding, and it's not a slight against him. He's done his job, but the question was, who's been the most important player? It's been Nylander. Two yays, one nay. Players like Thornton and Spezza are not just sentimental. They're actually key contributors. Yay or nay, start with you, Hugh. Nay. They're not key contributors. However, they are contributors. So you're not relying on these guys for offense, but they are providing offense. So, nay. I have to yay this one. I I don't think... I, I, I support Spezza. I respect what he's done. I respect Thornton a lot. I played against him in the same division for a couple years out in the West. And two great players. Did I expect them both to come in and do this, what they're doing right now this year? No. Spezza's been the best value contract on the Leafs, um, best value contract in the NHL. And Thornton's come in and chipped in um, the odd goal here and there. I know he had a little bit of a dry spell during the regular season, but look at yesterday's game. A couple, a couple big goals, right? That's like... At, at this point, I don't know how you say that these two um, haven't been key contributors for the team. I think there's going to be a time when they come out of the lineup. I thought last night was one of them. I, when with, we heard Thornton, Matt, with Thornton. With yeah. Thornton, yeah. I just was like back-to-back, back, you give the guy rest. Um, I also said Muzzin would come out because I thought he took a couple big hits in, in game three. But they've both been good, and it's you got to remember – the point production is not why they're here. They're here for leadership. They're here for more for the days off. And I know you're going to say, well, I need guys on the ice that are going to do something for me, but there's a mix in the room and there's chemistry and you have to have guys that keep things light when they get a little tense, get guys happy when things are down and keep you level headed when you're rolling and that's why both those guys are here. Ziggy and I are in full agreement this morning. I'm yaying this one. <laughs> Shocking. You guys would team up against That me. was not a yay sound. What the hell was that? Jeez. <laughs> Sounded like Who a... Is that? 
Yeah, that's Spezza. Is yeah, that that's not Spezza? Yeah, is it Spezza? Oh yeah, that's from back in uh, back in Ottawa days. That was about 12, 13 years ago. That thing lives on YouTube. Poor Spez. Um, I think especially with Jason Spezza, key contributor. He said base, best value contract in the NHL. If you look at points per sixty minutes, I mean he is he is way up there. Huge goal last night. I think that it, when it's a two to nothing goal with the way the Habs are struggling to score. That effectively ices it. Um, these guys were brought in for their veteran presence. And over the long haul, if this is a long playoff run, uh, there may be dips. I think they're going to be more key in the next series. Yeah. They, like, but that's just they have some me. tougher matchups yeah. up front, yeah. too. Let's go away from, base, uh, from hockey for a minute, go to baseball. Alec Manoa, tonight... Major League debut on the road, but not just anywhere, at Yankee Stadium. This is an unfair ask of the Blue Jays' first-round pick in 2019. Unfair to ask him to kick his career off in Yankee Stadium. Yay or nay? Yay. It is unfair. Yay! Um, and, and it's only predicated on the fact that, the, well, I think that the, the decision was made when the Blue Jays are in the midst of a five-game losing streak, so they're looking for anything to to stop the slide. If the Jays had won five or six in a row, he probably is not starting tonight at Yankee Stadium. Uh, no, you're, you're throwing him to the Wolves, and it was a nice win last night, but he's got to go. he's got to go throw balls to Aaron Judge. I don't know. No, you couldn't hold off and like play him against Baltimore in his first game. Come on. Well, that would be late June. <laughs> fine, they don't play the fine. Orioles till then late June. Then it's late June. <laughs> I'm gonna nay this one. Agree uh, with me? Come on. What's wrong with him? Yeah, I just, I don't know. The thing with Alec Manoa is like, what? When is the best time to bring a guy in? Right? Do you know what I mean? Like when, when, like, is there a perfect time to bring in a prospect? That's like there. When is it? I I don't know. You bring them in the Yankee stadium. I agree. Like what part, you know, if they're winning five in a row and the rotation is good, does he even come up? Um, I think that's a great question to ask yourself. So, you know, I, I'm looking forward to watching him play though. Like, I, I, I don't know. I'm pretty, I'm as excited today as I was to watch the right. game yesterday. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you hundred percent. And I, I will be specifically this question and the way it's worded, I will say nay. <laughs> nay. In that I don't really care where a guy makes his debut. Uh, he's going to have to pitch in Yankee Stadium a lot in his career in the American League East. What I think is less fair, and it's not necessarily coming from within the organization, although don't think for a second the organization isn't hoping against hope that Manoa can not only just jump right in tonight and contribute but hang around every fifth day and be really good. What is unfair is any kind of expectation that this is going to be a smooth ride from now until the end of the season. The bigger issue here is that they are now pivoting because they have to, to try to fill the two remaining holes in their starting rotation. That's the tougher ask of the kid with such little professional experience. He's actually the right age. He's 23. Three-year college player, University of West Virginia, first-round draft pick 2019 at the age of 21. From an age perspective, he's ready to go. 
but he doesn't have a lot of professional experience because he played short season, low A baseball in the summer of 2019. And then last year, the minor league season got wiped out due to COVID. So he's got three starts at AAA under his belt. This isn't Juan Guzman, 1991, who'd been in pro ball for five years and pitched 100-plus innings at different levels leading up to his Major League debut in 1991. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes, but a big, big night for Blue Jays fans. Back to hockey. The Montreal Canadiens, knowing they might make the playoffs, should have never allowed an interim coach to finish the season. There were too many bigger names and good names available on the coaching market. Yay or nay, Ziggy? I am going to say that... um, I'm going to say nay on this. (laughs) Nay! Um, Yeah, I... Like, what's the situation for the Montreal Canadiens this year? Like, what is... What would be the best situation for them? Like, you bring a big name in, I just, I don't know that they had actually had the guys, like how deep was this the year they were going to go deep? You know, you talk about the Edmonton Oilers. How are they supposed to, was this the year to go all in? And for Bergeron, I think he was in a tough situation. I really do. It's like, you have Claude Julien here. Was he, was it, was it right and even fair that he got let go? Like, I, I, I don't know. And then who do you bring in? You bring in. You bring in Mike Babcock? Like- well, Mike Babcock, and correct me if I'm wrong, he doesn't even speak English that well. I don't think he can speak French. <laughs> and you you have to be able to speak It's very French. important. You have to. That. Yes. And it's I, vital. Don't be Anglophone guy who who isn't interested in understanding why. Randy, it is important. Randy Cunworth. That, yes. It is important that the coach be bilingual. But in saying that, the Habs would have to acknowledge that limits their pool. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They've got there's a reason Julian was back twice, Terrian was back twice. He should never have been fired in the first place, but that's a whole other Which one? Other. Julian, Julian this year. That I think he should I think he should still be coaching right now of this team. Dominic Ducharme's not the guy. I think that's apparent. Um so the answer to this is yay. Yeah. Should never have been allowed to have an interim coach in the playoffs. Well, I th- and I'll add to it, but a different spin. If you aren't 100% sure who your general manager is going to be next season, you can't let your GM bring in the bring next in big game l- long-term yeah, that's what I am for. head coach. You think yeah, Bergevin's out? You think Bergevin is out? I don't Whether know. he is or he isn't, they didn't know that at the time, right? Yeah. I just you it it got handled for what they wanted to do. Everything got handled the right way, and Bergeron is like, he's kind of like, this is I need to make a change, but I'm not I'm not sure where I want to go long term. It's it's a good move if you're in management. I I think it's the right play for him. The specter of Patrick Waugh will be. Mm. All over that city if they go out, well, at any point in the next few games, but especially they go out tomorrow night. I'm a huge fan of Patrick Waugh, but I I don't know if he's the guy to coach there. I I don't know. Uh, It would be be entertaining. Absolutely. absolutely. Barnum and Bailey, baby. Yep. Get some popcorn, pull up a chair. But I don't know. 
Jeff Merrick, uh, one of the hosts of Hockey Central at noon here on Sportsnet 590, the fan, one of the hosts of the NHL on Sportsnet, and he co-hosts the 31 Thoughts, the podcast with Elliot Friedman, is coming up on the other side. Catherine Tappan, Adnan Verk later on in the show. A little Blue Jays baseball with Dan Schulman. It's all ahead. Merrick's next. Able to catch up with that, and over the line with Delchunyuk in front. The pass scores. Pretty tic-tac goal, and it's William Nylander again. Galchenyuk finishes it off. Alex Galchenyuk, his best game as a Toronto Maple Leafs, and Alex Galchenyuk will have a three-point night. As she wrists one right on Soros, deflected by Soros. Carolina, that last clip there, the uh, Jordan Stahl winner in overtime. They score mm-hmm. a third period goal to tie the game and then win in overtime. So that's been a homer series. Uh, and it'll go back to Nashville with the Canes up three games to two. The Leafs with their 4 nothing win last night up three games to one on Montreal. A chance to lock it down, close it out at Scotiabank Arena tomorrow night. John in Norfolk County texting us to 590-590. Can we get the Air Z&Z approved as a quarantine hotel for the U.S. team coming in for the semifinals. There you go. Um, I will say this. So I was living downtown and the place was, this house was rented out. And so I lived across the street from the station. And then once the pandemic, that's why I moved back. But well, that um, and it was like 200 square feet. With no hot my water. Condo de- yeah. There's no <laughs> hot water either. I had no hot water in uh, my condo. Uh, okay, that that was not minor good. detail. <laughs> I mean, I love my cold showers in the morning, sure, but sometimes not? you'd like you'd like some warm water yeah. in the morning. But yeah, I, I it, this house was actually I, I don't know if it was on Airbnb. It was on like one of the rental sites. I, it was an agent, my friend's an agent was dealing with it. And they and then we were getting a lot of calls because it was still up when I'd moved back in, saying people wanted to. Um, I don't know, a month or two after we had the whole quarantine, right? Came in and people, it was still up for rental. We didn't take it off, and they're like, they, "I'm like, why is it getting so much? Why is it getting um, the attention now?" We didn't really hear because people wanted a place to quarantine because I don't even know if hotels were taking you back mm-hmm. when the pandemic even started. So people are saying we want a house to quarantine in for the two weeks. And we're just like, no, we, so we took it all off all the, all the channels and I end up staying here. Obviously there was no air Z and Z right no. uh, from yeah. the pandemic onward. <laughs> all right, let's bring him on. Uh, Jeff Merrick, one of the hosts of hockey central at noon here on Sportsnet 590, the fan, one of the hosts of the NHL on Sportsnet, And he's uh, alongside Elliot Friedman as part of 31 thoughts, the podcast. And he is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom, visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Here is Jeff Merrick. Hello, sir. Scotty, can I can I kick off this segment by asking Ziggy a hockey question? No. <laughs> whoa, whoa, wait a second here. Wait Ziggy, a second. I have a I have a question. I have a question for you. Because we're seeing this a lot in the playoffs this year, especially with early goalie pool uh pulls. How hard is it to hit an empty net? 
It's hard. Just ask Patrick Stefan. <laughs> well, that's a skip that's over so, the blade, that's though. That's so, different. That's so, that's so low. So great low. Pull, great pull, though, Ziggy. Great pull. Great pull. Oh, the fact the Oilers came back down and scored to tie the game okay. was everything on the. No, I feel bad. And Stefan was a first overall career, pick. He didn't come back so after. Low. He didn't. He didn't come back after that. Like I all joking aside, I, I had, feel bad. He had concussion problems too. He, yeah, he had, that was, that was a tough end of that career, but that clip's going to live in infamy, but no, I mean, uh, we're, we're, we're seeing it every yeah. night and we saw it yesterday as well. Mm-hmm. Both Austin Matthews, Zach Hyman with a shot at the four by six. Nope. Not going to be there. You know, goalies are getting pulled earlier than ever just because finally the NHL is, has caught up to what the analytics community has been saying for, for years and years now. And it just makes sense to do it. But I think, and sometimes I look at it too, and I say to myself, how hard can it be? Like These are elite-level players, the best of the best in the world, and it's an unguarded net. It, I mean, it looks hard because they can't do it, but I want to ask a hockey player, Ziggy, how hard is it to hit? It's net? tough. It can be tough. I think some guys in the back of their mind, they're just like, I don't want to hit this because I haven't scored in three games, and like, I don't want to be known as just scoring empty netters. I don't know. How many did Zach Hyman have this year, the last couple of years? I feel like half of his goals were empty nets. I mean, I think they're, I think they're big goals. I, I, I don't do know too. if last night's, I don't know I, if last night's was as big as they get, but yeah. Well, I'll yeah, tell you what, they're, they're, they're not big. cheapies. They're not cheapies. And last night it was three to nothing, but they're definitely not cheapies. If you're trying to protect a two goal lead with three and a half minutes to play. Bingo. Mm-hmm. And that, 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 that's all because, I mean, there were players, I mean, Brett Hull, like, oh, I'm not scoring empty net goals. Like, all my goals, you know, five on five and power play. I've always felt that one of the great unkept stats, or one of the, not unkept, one of the great stats that we don't give enough credit to is the empty net goal. Now, hear me out on this one. It's not just the act of putting the puck into an open net, but the fact that you're on the ice in that situation to score that goal which usually means you're protecting generally a one-goal lead, maybe a two-goal lead, and the coach wants you on the ice. You know, like, with all due respect to, you know, players like Brett Hall, who always prided himself on not scoring empty net goals, he wasn't going on the ice with a minute left. Like, Brett Hall is not out there to protect the lead. That's why I look at the empty net goals and I say, like, that's a stat that we sort of look at and go like, okay, so he put it in in an empty net. That, to me, is impressive because you were on the ice to protect that lead. Ally Frady, though, when we were kids, Jeff said, yeah. I think this was in the late 80s. He was with the Leafs. I'm pretty sure it was him because he said, I don't, well, you can look the clip up if it's out there, but he went along something along the lines of, I don't score empty netters, therefore cowards will say we use the the that word. So yeah. he, um, he said that and all of us watching us playing in Markham, um, Markham Thunder with Rafi Torres, Hayden Christensen, and no one wanted to score an empty netter because we were all scared that a guy like <laughs> I afraid he said that and he said like oh, holy cowards score empty netters so none of us wanted to put the fucking after and I told him this story because we do the odd NHL alumni event together and he like had a good chuckle with it but he's like I was right <laughs> He was right at the time, but but they only used to pull goalies when you're up a goal with a minute left, right? I mean, all this. Not even a minute. It was like 30 seconds because yeah. it was, ew, even then it was too dangerous. Oh, it's 102. Should the goalie start the skate? Should the goalie start well, the skate? And I'll say for last night, like, I, I'm happy Gelchenyuk got it because it, yeah, was a, it was a beautiful bow on what was a hell of a night for him. I mean, I'll tell you what. Um, 
you know this better than most people, more than more than me, certainly. I'm going to use a baseball analogy here. Um, baseball went from Moneyball to MVP machine, from finding inefficiencies to using advanced metrics to help change the way players play. Most notably pitchers with things like spin rate, etc. But it's using analytics to help players change their game and almost reinvent themselves. And the Maple Leafs tried to do that with Cody Cece. That was part of the thinking. And part of the thinking for this reclamation project that has worked out spectacularly for the Maple Leafs, and you saw last night, has been Alexander Galchenyuk. Like he's floated through so many different organizations. And I know the easy way to spin it is, well, well, he's playing harder now because he knows this is the end of the line. It's a simple story, and it's just not true. Like, they've changed the way this guy skates. This guy has changed the way he thinks. He's changed the way that he plays. He's got all the Sarnia Sting junior hockey out of his game. This is a profoundly different player that we're watching in the NHL right now, and that's because of the Maple Leafs' belief, uh, much like in baseball, that if you you know pay attention to tiny little things like baseball has, you can recreate players. And I think Galchenyuk is probably the best evidence of that. Yeah, I, I was surprised he didn't start uh, in game one. Me too. And I, I know it's Me easy too. to sit here now after the game he had last night, though, Jeff, and we sit here and we're like, well, we should. Well, we've been talking about it for even the week before the playoffs leading up, saying, well, who's somebody has to sit out. That's the problem is that the depth is so good yeah. And who comes out of the lineup? And I, it, it, even if Tavares comes back in Felino, I like Galchenyuk doesn't come out for me. Like he's not one of the players that sits. But then it's like, well, you're going to have one really good player up front, not in the lineup. And yeah. I don't even know who it is at this point because guys have been like, who hasn't played well to this point up front? Coaches dream about these problems, hey, Ziggy? I mean, you yeah. know this better than yeah. I. Coaches dream about having these nightmares. Oh, we have too many guys. Oh, mm-hmm. we have we have too many forwards. Oh, a good player yeah. is going to have to sit. Um, it's kind of like saying, oh, this guy better be careful. He goes to the net too hard. He's going to get injured. There's 31 coaches in the NHL that want all their players to have that problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like having too many forwards, and that's where the maybe and that like that second line. I know one of the big stories is, of course, you know, the Spezza scoring, Thornton scoring, you know, the Greybeards hugging. Like it's it's a it's a wonderful thing. But man, that second line was outstanding last night. They they were great, and Kerfoot is finally that Kerfoot that we saw glimpses of in Colorado, and that's why Dubas pulled the the trigger on the Kadri deal. Uh, with the Colorado Avalanche um, right now. And again, you might just look at it and say, you know, pump the brakes here. This is against the Montreal Canadiens. Um, this is the North. This should be the North Division version of Colorado versus St. Louis. So don't read too much into it. But I mean, all you can do is win the games that are presented to you. And uh, so far, we're learning that uh, the second line, as you know, uh, as we saw last night, is, is pretty good, pretty deadly. And William Nylander continues to produce much to the chagrin of many. Well, here's Jeff Merrick. And, and, and look, I, I was going to go in the Nylander direction. The comparison I use, and you know for me, Jeff, it'll, <laughs> it'll always come back to baseball, is, is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And I, I think there are the dum-dums out there who, who wrote Nylander off or who decided for whatever their reasons are, valid or invalid, that they didn't like him. And the same thing with with Vladdy. I do think, and I was a member of this group, I do think there was a segment who was critical and 
and said, look, we clearly see that there's more there. And we'd like to see that more that is there more often. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing it with Vladdy, who leads baseball in home runs right now with 16 as we wake up this morning. And we are seeing it at the most crucial time of the season for the Maple Leafs with William Nylander right now. And it's not just that it's happening in the playoffs. It's that he's lost his two line mates, John Tavares and Nick Foligno. Now, he played a lot with Gelchenyuk this year as well, so having him back. But you get what I'm saying. William Nylander is stepping up as the Maple Leafs have suffered attrition. I think that's hugely encouraging. Yeah, you know what? There's a there's um there's a couple of players that are having this, and uh, this kind of started last season for this other player that I'm going to mention. But if you go back to the 2014 draft, there are two players that stand out that have that have really heard it from fans, and you know you keep hearing, oh, you can't win in the playoffs with this, these guys. They vanish, they disappear, and both William Nylander for Toronto and Nikolai Ehlers for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, right now have been, you know, top of mind when it comes to offensive production for, for both of these teams. Like Ehlers, I mean, remember two years ago, Scotty, when he was going to the Boston Bruins and you can't win with this guy and Winnipeg's got to get rid of him. And I mean, he heard all that and he's been playing with a chip on his shoulder ever since. Um, he was Winnipeg's best player this season. I know for a while there were many, including Elliot, who would consider him to be a, a Hart Trophy candidate, maybe not winning it, but at least in that conversation. And we're seeing that with William Nylander right now. Like, Nylander doesn't do the things that a lot of hockey fans like, namely aggressive play around the boards. Like He's not one that's going to uh, engage in, in contact. Having said that, I mean, no one spends more time in front of the net with the Toronto Maple Leafs um, outside of John Tavares than William Nylander. So it's not as if he's shy. I just think that there are elements about his game that a lot of fans don't really place too much of a premium on. Zone entries, right? I mean, whoever went to a game to watch how easily a player gets into the zone, stripping pucks. Um, like, this guy is, like, I'm not going to say he's he's Pavel Datsuk, who was probably the best at it, but as far as the Maple Leafs go, I mean, him and Matthews stripping pucks are, it's a, it's a glorious thing to watch. Um, but now that he's getting, like, he's getting the attention now because he's getting the hockey card numbers, right? Like, he's getting the goals and the helpers and the things that most of us look at and say, yeah, that's, that's the mark of a, of a good player, a good offensive hockey card production. Where really, you know, anyone that's, that's followed his career is looking at this and is saying, there's no difference between this Nylander and the regular season Nylander and the one we saw before. The only difference is the hockey card numbers are showing up. He's got goals and he's got assists. But if you look at the last two playoffs with Nylander, even the one, the last one against the Bruins, it, it, this is not even close to the same player. This is like, I, I talk a lot about Nylander, his first two years in the league, or I wouldn't move him for anyone. So I think it's someone new. This is like the regular season Nylander kind of on. Uh, it's a flex Nylander where I'm, I, I think he's the best player on the ice. And I'm looking at him and I'm saying, well, what's changed? Is, is, that, is that he just, does he want it more now? Or is there something else? Like, is it the fact that Matthews has found that next gear? And he's like, okay, Matthews is playing better. He's found a way to elevate his game. I need to, or is it something in the room where you have Simmons, Foligno, Thornton? Those are three pretty heavy, you know, hitters where it's like, these are big mm -hmm. names in the game. I better come to play now, especially in the playoffs. 
because I have to go and answer to these guys after. Or do you think it's just a matter of this is just a hockey player, much like any player in any sport who's now coming into that 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 sweet spot of the bat in his career? He's 25 years old. Mm-hmm. Like this is where this is where players, you know, hit their stride. This is where players hit their peak. And how many times did we say, you know, what Kyle Dubas did in the offseason is sort of fill in around the edges. But if the Maple Leafs are going to have any kind of success, it's going to be, be because Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, et cetera, take that next step in their career. To me, this is just sort of that natural evolution of a player. And, and to the point about, like, whenever there's an issue with the Maple Leafs, the default setting is always trade Nylander and get help. Trade Nylander and get help. And I always think back to something that Sam Pollock, the late, you know, great general manager of that Montreal Canadiens dynasty, used to always say. And he would say, don't ever give up on a young player until you're 100% sure. The league is littered with mistakes that general managers have made because they've given up on young players until they're when, not, not until they're 100% sure of it. And I think you're seeing, like, now you're seeing... A patient organization, like did Nylander have warts along the way? Of course he did. He's a young hockey player. Ditto for Marner, ditto for Matthews. Now the contract conversation is all done. There's no noise around that. Now you can just play. And now we're seeing, you know, Austin Matthews uh, at 23 years old, you know, starting to hit that sweet spot of the bat. Mitch Marner at 24, Nylander at 25. We're going back to the 214 draft when Shanahan first took over. Now you're starting to see what happens when you put somebody together, identify the core, leave it and let it grow. To me, this is just the evolution of where this guy was headed anywhere. Anyway, and I think a lot of it is because the patience of the organization didn't just default to a default the way that I think a lot of observers would and just say, oh, you know what? They need another defenseman. Get rid of Nylander. Nylander's got four goals against the Montreal Canes right now. And to your point, he's the best player on the ice outside of Austin mm-hmm. Matthews. With Jeff Merrick on laid off Sportsnet 590, the fan. So this is a bigger picture conversation that we will, I'm sure, revisit with okay. Jack Campbell. It's pretty clear at this point that he's going to be the presumptive starting goaltender next season and he's going to be that guy on a 1.65 million dollar salary cap hit he will be entering the final year of his contract what would you do come the end of july when the window to negotiate an extension opens do you let him go into his potential walk year as your 1.65 aav starting goaltender and have that be it or would you explore the possibility of an extension of some term and and not an unreasonable term but of some term that maybe locks him in uh, certainly at a raise but maybe not as big a raise as would be required if he if he went right to ufa because mm-hmm. there's an inherent risk in that too right he could fall on his face next year you just don't know i guess what i'm asking is is how informed would they feel at this point about whatever it is the risk that they would be taking with this guy you know i'll tell you scotty i am of the firm belief that when they made that deal even though frederick anderson was the starting goaltender at that point in the back of dubas's mind i'm pretty sure they thought we're going to give this guy a chance to be the number one here 
this isn't just we're bringing someone in to, to spell off Freddie for a couple of games. We're in an injury situation here and Hutch can't win a game. We need to bring someone in. I think in the back of their minds, they were thinking somewhere down the road, and it wasn't going to be last season, obviously, but somewhere down the road, we're going to give this guy a chance to be a number one. I really do think that this was the plan all along, and it's hit. This one, this one, is, this one is another hit for Kyle Dubas. I, I, I think this really was, you know, I think this really was, I mean, as much as people talked about, oh, you know, this is bringing in Kyle Clifford and the toughness and all that. To me, I think the play was, let's see if we can find, go back to a you know, baseball analogy, an inefficiency in the market somewhere where there's a skill redundancy and team needs to let go of a player. Let's see if we can turn this guy into a number one. And I don't think it's any coincidence he also played for the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds and the Maple Leafs. That's where all Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds go, uh, it it seems. So I I really do think this was the play all along. And I think that in the back of their minds right now, they're thinking, yeah, when this is all said and done, we got to get this guy on an extension. Dermot comes in for Sandine and a number of theories are ways you want to interpret what the move or why that move was made. Uh, as Kyle and Scotty know that uh, I think that obviously Dermott's better five on five, but the fact that the power play struggled a game in again in game three, where it's mm-hmm. like if Sandine's not going to quarterback that power play and it's not going to be effective and they're not going to produce, I, I think that opens up the door for somebody else to come in. Is, is what are you what are you making of of the Sandine situation? What the least want to do there? Kind of feels like found money right now, doesn't it? Coming in this late mm-hmm. in the season and in that profound spot on the power play, Dick. Doesn't it look sort of strange to you, Ziggy? Like even though we've all I like him over the past couple. Of, I like him too. I got all the time in the world for uh, for Rasmus Sandin. Um, it, it just it's such a profoundly different look with uh, with that player. And and to your point, like Travis Dermott is a you know elite level skater and you know a really good 5 on 5 player. I I don't know. I've always found that the NHL has a hard time putting value on defensive defensemen specifically. I mean, perhaps no one does it better than the Carolina Hurricanes and that's why Jacob Slavin is such a star. But I think generally I think many hockey observers have a have a hard time with someone who's you know, whose role as a defenseman is mainly to defend or puck goes in, puck goes out. Um, but I, I think, again, this is this goes back to the sort of nice problem to have um, if you're the Maple Leafs. But it, if, 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 if put it this way, if you're going to get in trouble because you can't have Rasmus Sandin anchoring your power play, it might be indicative of, of something else and a, and a deeper problem. And the question now is, do, does he stay out again for the next one? Or do you keep Dermot in? Ah, boy. <laughs> well, let me pull on my extensive career as an NHL coach to my informed my, my informed opinion here. Uh, I always think a team like I want my team to have as much confidence as possible. Um, and you know what a potent power play can do for the confidence of a team. I'd be inclined to put Sandine back in there just for just for the power play factor for a for a closeout game. All right. Well, uh, we'll now turn to your lengthy experience as a prognosticator. We got three games tonight. And By the obvious... way, I, I, don't do that because I called for Carter Hart as a Vesna Trophy winner this year. So let's, <laughs> just, let's just temper everything here. Okay. All right. <laughs> He'll win it next year. Yeah, I, I, one season late. Yeah. One season. I. Yeah, Carter Hart's a digression we can get into another day, but I I still think there's a really good goalie in there. Penguins-Islanders in New York, game six. 
the Islanders with a chance to finish this one off. Um, Brian Burke going to be returning to Sportsnet for some playoff coverage uh, after this one, or will the Penguins, <laughs> or will the Penguins force a game seven? Uh, I want to see the Penguins force a game seven because there's nothing better than that. And I'd like to see, you know, friends and ex-colleagues succeed. I cheer for people more than I cheer for teams. And there's a lot of people on that team and in that organization that I like. So I'd like to see them do well. Would love to see Sidney Crosby play more hockey. I just, I just can't bet against the Islanders in this situation and the wild card. And we're seeing it play itself out in that Nashville Carolina series that you mentioned off the top. You go back to you know you go back to last weekend and does it seem like six thousand people in Long Island sound like twenty thousand? Uh-huh. Like have, you, have you heard six thousand people? It Scotty, always did. Loud. It always. It, I mean, when that place used to fill Oof. up, remember the bloodbath playoff series? I've always called it the bloodbath series. Leafs and Isles. Yeah. In 02. Corson and Karens and oh, oh yeah. and yeah. <laughs> Mike Pekka and Peter Laviolette as a young NHL head coach and Chris yeah. Osgood and like all of that. Like the, the Coliseum was rocking then. But you'd go in, you'd go in on a Tuesday night if you were the Leafs in the middle of the season and there'd be seven thousand people there, but they all cared. Loud. Yeah. I know. Like some of the most passionate, loud fans in the uh, in, in the NHL. I just think that the Islanders play Again, it's sometimes it's not the most entertaining, even though they have one of the most entertaining players in the entire NHL and Matthew Barzal, but they just have a an adherence to this structured game that is relentless. Um, I'm I'm gonna have a hard time uh betting against the New York Islanders uh in this one. I'm not sure this one goes to a game seven. If the Florida Panthers were handling and they're not the only team doing this, but if they were handling their goaltending situation five years ago, like they're handling it now, we'd be all in an uproar, right? How oh, you, you don't have a number one. It, it's destabilizing and all this. Can they win tonight? The answer is obviously yes, they could win. Do you expect they have a shot tonight in Tampa Bay? Yeah. The Bolts, the Bolts have already coughed up one elimination game. This is their last, this is their last chance to do it at home. Yeah, I can't. See, I can't see the Bolts coughing up a fur ball twice here. And you know, bless Spencer Knight, and he's you know. I, th- I mean, the big question now in Florida is, what do you do with Sergei Bobrovsky's contract mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, starting this off season when you've gone to Drieger and now you've gone to to, to Spencer Knight? Um, Florida's a good team, but Tampa's a great team, and we've seen them with the killer instinct before. We've also seen the Tampa Bay Lightning turn into the team that's guilty of making the extra pass over and over and over and over again, much to their detriment. Um, so they have the potential to get in their own way. Uh, we haven't necessarily seen that in the last season and a half, but they do have it in them. But I'll still take, I'll still take Tampa to close out. And uh, keep in mind, assistant producer Hayden Matthewson is listening to this conversation. Mm-hmm. Will the <laughs> Minnesota Wild actually win a home game in this series and get it back to Vegas? Or do the Golden Knights close it out tonight? So the point that I've always made about these two this season is, uh, much like styles make fights, same thing can be said for hockey games. And the best games we saw this regular season for anyone that bothered to stay up to watch them, the Minnesota Wild and the Vegas Golden Knights, they were the best games consistently in the NHL this year, period. Um, I don't know that there's enough there, there for the Minnesota Wild, but something's different about this team now. And the weird thing is, this is what, like, if you're just a casual observer, you say, well, this is what Minnesota does. 
they just, you know, they make it into the playoffs and they bow out in the first round. And if you just look at this series, and I would expect that Vegas would win here, either it's, you know, tonight or the next game. Um, you may look at it and say, well, this is what Minnesota does. But this is different. Kirill Kaprizov, Kirill Kaprizov has changed the fortunes of this team and the outlook and the future of this team like almost no other player with their organization. Dare I say it, Scotty, Minnesota, the Wild are now a fun team to watch. They're not at Vegas levels yet, but at least now you can see a path for how they're going to get there. Don't know that there's enough in the tank there for the Minnesota Wild. They've had a heck of a season. No one expected this. Um, but I don't think there's enough there there to beat, you know, the juggernaut Knights. And plus, you know, I just want to see Vegas and Colorado too. Yes. Don't you guys? Yes. Don't you guys want that? Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. You didn't even know it was coming. I mean, I think Vegas has had the best team in the NHL since they got in, though. But I'm, I'm <laughs> pro-Vegas the whole way. But, yeah, yeah that's, that's what we're looking forward to, right? Yeah. We'd also be pro-going to Vegas to uh, watch oh, some that would be awesome deeper deeper into the season uh listen pal it was a lot of fun and we kept you a little bit longer than usual That's we'll fine. do it again next wednesday had a blast it. thanks boys jeff thanks, merrick thanks uh, for helping me on the empty deck goals question ziggy yeah yeah anytime <laughs> there you go i like that a little symbiosis there of hockey central at noon here on sportsnet 590 the fan jeff merrick is uh, one of the hosts and alongside elliot friedman 31 thoughts the podcast brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Adnan Verk in about 15 minutes. Catherine Tappan of NBC Sports on the other side. And we'll get to uh, some of the American-based series and her thoughts on the Leafs and Habs as well. But first, here's what we're talking about this morning on leadoff. Sportsnet 590, the fan three-point night from Alex Galchenyuk. A goal and two helpers. Jason Spezza had a goal and an assist. Alex Kerfoot, three assists. Uh, the Maple Leafs a 4-0 win over the Montreal Canadiens in Game 4 of their first-round playoff series. A first-career playoff shutout for Jack Campbell. He made 32 saves. The Maple Leafs a three-games-to-one series lead, a chance to wrap it up at home tomorrow night in Game 5. Nashville took a 2-1 lead into the third period in Carolina. This has been a homer series so far. They gave up the game-tying goal with a little more than seven minutes left. And then Jordan Stahl's fourth of this series gave Carolina the 3-2 win in overtime. Canes with a three games to two series lead. Tonight, elimination games. The Islanders at home can put away the Penguins in game six. The Lightning at home can put away the Panthers in game six. And the Wild at home are looking to push it to a seventh game with the Vegas Golden Knights. Blue Jays snapped the losing skid 6-2 at Yankee Stadium. They beat the Yankees last night. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. with a couple of hits, including his baseball-leading 16th home run of the season. Steven Matz was excellent for the Blue Jays. He gave them six and two-thirds innings last night, picking up his sixth win of the season. NBA playoffs, Brooklyn, a two-games-to-none series lead over Boston with a 130-108 victory at home over the Celtics. The Lakers pulled even and gained home court advantage with a 109-102 win in Phoenix. That series is tied a game apiece. And boy, does Kawhi and the Clippers have some work to do. Dallas 127, the Clip 121. The Mavericks go home with a two-games-to-none series lead. Catherine Tappan of NBC Sports will uh, join us in just a moment. Adnan Verk coming up in about 15 minutes' time. 
Uh, Leafs with a three games to one series lead over the Habzig. And look, we've been all over the Nylander talk. Jack Campbell, I think he's a he's a great story now, and he's a great look ahead story as well. I really like what Jeff Merrick had to say about Campbell that. You know, every now and then you try to identify inefficiencies in the marketplace. You think something's there that hasn't quite been tapped into. And maybe Kyle Dubas doesn't just have his goaltender, his, his, his number one goaltender. Now he's got his number one goaltender into the future. It's taken me a while to come around. I, I'm feeling it more and more as each game goes by. Yeah, and I, I don't know if I'm there yet. Is he the goaltender part of the future? Uh, yes. Could he be a 1A and 1B type of tandem going forward. I need to see you just, you need to see a guy more and there's nothing. There's nothing he could have done better to this point. He just needs the games for me to, to crown somebody your bonafide number one, where he's your guy every single night. I, I still need to see more, but it, it's nothing from a player's performance. That's just a games. He just needs the time they go deep here, two, three rounds, sure, it's going to build on that. But for me, for him, it's going to have to go into next season. So, yeah, do I want them to go on and win the Cup this year? Yes, but for a guy like Jack Campbell, it's going to be like how many times have we seen goaltenders come in and run the tables in the playoffs? It's happened for decades, right? We've seen guys that don't really play during the regular season and all of a sudden they're the guy three games into the playoffs and they run with it. And then what's happened, right? It hasn't been a fairy tale, every single situation with those types of goaltenders. So, you know, I, I, I love what he's done so far. I'm seeing a lot of confidence out of him. He's working hard. He fights on place, fights to look through traffic, anything from the outside. He's doing all those good things. And what we see from other players is that they love playing for him. And I think that's important from a goaltending standpoint where the guys in front of you want to work hard and, and play well. So going forward, I just need to see more games out of him. But yeah, he, he's the guy right now. There's no more, you know, we've talked a lot about the leash talk. How short's his leash? Oh, it's a little longer now. No, he's the guy now. I don't see Anderson coming in, barring anything, you know, catastrophic, whether it's an injury or, you know, two, three bad games in a row. So he's the guy. Catherine Tappan is uh, waiting, and she will join us now from NBC Sports. And uh, she's been all over these playoffs, uh, particularly close to the Bruins team, has covered them a lot. Uh, Catherine, good morning. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Good morning, Scotty and Ziggy. I'm great. How are you guys doing? We're, we're doing well, and we're not allowed to get too far ahead of ourselves. But uh, the Boston Bruins just won't leave us alone. Like, even when we don't have to concern ourselves with the Boston Bruins, they're there way down the road if the Leafs continue to win. Um, I mean, I don't know if we saw a five-game series victory over the Washington Capitals coming, but there they were. Uh, the perfection line was doing its thing, and Taylor Hall has fit perfectly with that Bruins team since coming over from Buffalo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree with that. I mean, I think... I, I don't think anybody saw a five-game series at all, especially after their opening game. I mean, you could see that Washington was ready, and, I mean, they were loaded. I, I don't really – I still don't really understand what happened to the Capitals. I just think that, you know, the, the Bruins the Bruins found a way to click, but that Capitals team is really good. So, um, you know, I think, I think this Bruins team, they're going to be well-rested in the next round, whoever they get, whether it's Pittsburgh or the Islanders. I think they match up really well against either one of those two teams. 
But, um, but yeah, the Bruins, I mean, I covered them for so many years when I was local at Nesson. And then um, yeah, actually before that, when I was at NBC 10 in Providence, Rhode Island, I mean, Patrice Bergeron was playing for the P Bruins during the lockout year. Every time I see him, I remind him like our careers have kind of gone this, the same trajectory, but um, it's, it's, it's fun to watch them. They're a dangerous team that Taylor Hall. I mean, my gosh, has he fit in well there? And I, I hope they find a way to resign him and Crutchy because I know they're both up this year, but it's, it's exciting to watch. They're pretty dangerous. The only question for them would be on defense. And I, I know that injury to Kevin Miller is a, is a big, is a big question mark for them. So hopefully he can get healthy and, uh, and we'll see a, a really, really deep threat team. I think. How about in the other series that are still going on right now, Islanders, Penguins, do you see a comeback there or any of the others, you know, hurricanes, Preds, lightning Panthers, um, and also yeah. the wild Knights. I mean, I've been so surprised at the Carolina National Series. I mean, I, I don't think I expected Nashville to hang in with Carolina as well as they have, and these games are all going to overtime. It's just they're playing a lot of hockey, so whoever gets them next round is going to be probably happy because I would imagine they're going to be a little bit a little bit fatigued. But it's it, that's been a really surprising series and a fun series to watch. Um, regarding the Penns Islanders, I cannot predict that one, you guys. I mean, I, it's like – Every game is so different, and um, you know I know the Isles are back at Nassau Coliseum, which was absolutely electric last Saturday, and that was an afternoon game, and I think they just fed off that crowd, and I know they're going to do that tonight too. So I, I think the Islanders get it done tonight. Um, I just I just don't see how Pittsburgh can come back and, and win this game tonight. But uh, and out west, I mean Vegas, Minnesota has. I, I think Vegas is probably going to win that series tonight as well. Um, I like what I've seen from Minnesota. I think it's been it's also been nice to see a player like Zach Parise come back in the lineup and have an impact because I, I just have so much respect for him and what he's done in his career and what he's done on on the you know the the international stage for Team USA. So it's that was nice to see him have an impact in the previous game. But I think I think Vegas is just going to be too tough, and Mark Andre Fleury will bounce back tonight. So. Um, I don't know. They've all been, I mean, it's been must-see TV. It's been crazy. And that Winnipeg game the other night, I think I'm still recovering from the lack of sleep from it. But it was, it was, it was unbelievable. It was really, really unbelievable what they did against Edmonton. Yeah, just back to Pittsburgh and the Islanders. Hone in on that for a second. Um, I mean, I don't think it's any secret within hockey circles and, and people who follow the game closely know his name. But I think a guy like Matt Barzell would be celebrated a whole lot more if he was even just 10 miles closer to Manhattan playing at Madison Square Garden, right? I, and no disrespect to the Islanders, but like Matt Barzell, if I'm drawing up the next Canadian Olympic team, he is absolutely 100% on it. And yet when we list the best players in the sport, I think we overlook a guy like him probably because the market he's in. Yeah, and I mean, I would I would agree to that. I mean, I think you know he's certainly not a household name per se, and he should be because I mean, what, he's got three points in five games so far in the playoffs, and I mean, he's just so fun to watch, and he's an incredible ambassador of the game. Anytime you're around him at the All Star Game, um, he does such a good job doing all of his media interviews. He's he's well liked. He's respectful. Um, but uh, you know, regarding the Islanders, I mean, a lot of a lot of what happens with the Islanders has to do with top, right? I mean, you guys know this in Toronto. Lou Lamarillo runs a very tight ship, and it was like that with the Devils. I remember the, the years the Devils were winning championships and the year they played the Kings in the Stanley Cup final. I mean, Zach Parise should have been a household name, too, at that point. Um, and 
and you know wasn't for many reasons so i think i think it's all about marketing it's all about putting guys out there and the islanders obviously run a very very um strict regimen over there and i think if it works for them listen they win they they put people in the stands and people in this area i mean i live in new york city it's definitely it's it's a buzz for the islanders right now but you're right not as much as it would be if it was you know the team at madison square garden which created even more headlines when they didn't make the playoffs uh than the islanders are having made the playoffs and possibly advancing to round number two so uh, I think you know it's about the player. The player as well can can kind of put his. I, I think it's up to players at times to step forward. If, if Matt Barzell wants to do more things and wants to be, you know, have more marketing around him and and be in you know on magazine shoots and be the Henrik Lundqvist, let's say, of this area. I think he can do that. It's just a matter of kind of threading the needle with the people above and and trying to make sure that you know they understand the significance of that. I think I think all of hockey players should be. Um, put on bigger platforms, and we should know more about them than we do. Um, it's just the nature of the sport. But a player like Matt Barzell, I mean, his talent is unbelievable, and he's, he's fun to watch, and you're right. He should be on any Canadian team moving forward. Vegas has had probably some of the best seasons I've seen, and especially for an expansion franchise. Uh, obviously, that series is not over with Minnesota, but can you remember a matchup anticipated as a Vegas you know, Colorado avalanche in round two in recent history where it's come so quick, right? That should be a conference final, but in round two, that's a matchup we could see. Yeah. I mean, it's so disappointing, right? That one of those two teams, if Vegas advances, that one of them will be knocked out after the second round because uh, they're just so good, but that's going to be an incredible series if that's what ends up happening, which, you know, Vegas just needs one more win to get there. And, and Colorado's well-rested and, I mean, high-flying and good goaltending as we saw in the first round. And um, I think it's, it's definitely one of the premier matches. I mean, the, the West teams are always fun to watch, I find, because they play heavy. They play – they just play a different style than what we're used to in the East. And I think, you know, that particular matchup is going to be – you've got Marc-Andre Fleury, who's just unbelievable and going to have to try and keep the puck out for those guys like Lulandiskog and McKinnon who are just – so dangerous and ranting in. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a great series. Um, if that's the one that the matchup is, I'm not ruling out Minnesota yet. Um, you know, they still have games to play to get, to get into that second round if they can, but Mark Stone seems to be on a mission. Um, he's, he's incredible at both ends of the ice and uh, it'll be, it'll be fun to watch. It'll be fun to watch the line matchups and how they play out and um, you know, two great coaches. So um, a lot of anticipation if that's the next round series for sure. Where do you think the Nazem Kadri appeal ends up, Catherine, of his eight-game suspension? And, and the reason I ask is that the commissioner himself, Gary Bettman, is the first arbiter of this thing. And then if Kadri isn't satisfied with Bettman's ruling, he can go to an, an independent arbitrator. What fascinates me about this is that there, there was so much going on surrounding the NHL Department of Player Safety toward the end of the season with the Tom Wilson, New York Rangers situation, et cetera, et cetera. They go real heavy on Kadri with eight games in the playoffs. It was a tough hit on Justin Falk. There's no doubt about it. I just don't see the commissioner overruling his own guy, especially when a National Hockey League team, the New York Rangers, just a few weeks ago called for that guy, George Peros's firing. Yeah, um, I mean, this is tough. I obviously, like, I, 
I think you look at Kadri's record. I mean, third playoff suspension over the last six postseasons, and these are not insignificant hits. I mean, ask Justin Falk how he's feeling. Ask, you know, he had a cross-check in 2019, which was five games, suspended three games for boarding in 2018. I mean, there's these are – this is behavior that should not happen. So you have to find a way to discipline it. And every single situation is different. I just don't agree with comparing one suspension to the next to the other. I think it's – you know, the Department of Player Safety looks at and evaluates every situation on an individual basis. I mean, I do not agree 100%. I do not agree with, with what happened with the Rangers. I don't think George Paros's name should have ever been included in any kind of statement like that. That's just unacceptable. So – um, you know, he has a job to do and no one, you know, George played the game so well, policed the game himself on the ice. He polices it now in his professional career and uh, he's an incredible person. He's do, trying to do right by the players, by the league. Um, he's smart, you know, he's well-educated. He knows what he's doing. So I don't, I don't question at all what's happening with the department of player safety. I question the player's behavior on the ice and it just can't happen. Um, it's just unacceptable. It ruins the game. It, um, it's, it's, it's a repeat offender, and each – I'm not going to comment on the Tom Wilson case, but regarding Nazem Kadri, you know, he, of course he has the right to appeal it, and, um, and that's a player's right, and the PA submits that, and we'll see what happens. But, you know, the league hands down a, a suspension or a punishment, and you have to go from there. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's up to the players to be more intelligent on the ice so these things don't happen, and players like Justin Falk don't get hurt the way they do. We have to ask you about what it's been like with Mike Babcock on the on the broadcast. Uh, all all the fans getting to see to watch him. No, I, I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting just seeing former coaches and and obviously we cover the Leafs a lot. So Mike Babcock, the former coach of of the team, and and now he's on the broadcast. What's that? all been yeah. like and you well, know I, 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 everybody I wants more, to I know more texts about what's mike like from players and coaches everybody around the league i'm like oh my gosh what's going on this is so funny I, and i show them to him you know i'm like what do you, what kind of beef do you have with this guy and he's texting me wondering you know what you're like on the set and he just laughs i mean he's been great like i i've learned so much um just just working with him i mean when he doesn't stop when we're watching the games and we've got all the monitors up. I mean, he's picking out plays. He's constantly clipping things off. I'm, you know, total coach's mentality. So, um, you know, you learn things differently. I'm learning different things about the game. He has a much more analytical approach to, um, to the broadcast. And, you know, we, we lighten him up, we get him going a little bit and, and he's, He's just uh, he's he's been fun to work with because I've learned a lot from him and getting to know him more and getting to know you know we all get to know a lot about each other when you're sitting there for six hours at a time watching hockey mm-hmm. games. Um, we're obviously watching the games, but we get to know you know I get to know more about his family and what he's up to, and um, he's really excited to go back and coach in Saskatchewan. And I know um, you know those kids will be lucky to have him those those athletes because it's you know he does he knows the game so well so. We've had fun. I think I have him tomorrow night and the next night. But yeah, everybody wants it. What's it like working with Bab? I'm like, he's great. <laughs> Good player. And by the way, if he wasn't, Good I wouldn't player. tell you. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just remember, Catherine. Spell good. G U D. G U D. Good player. Good player. He's a good player. Good person. Married kids. Family guy. Well, he's he's funny because you know with these games, we're operating on two different networks now, and or actually three at, at times, and so we tend to be on the set for a, a stretch of time where we're jumping into the intermission on the CNBC game, the NBCSN game. And I mean, I've got friends that text me from sports bars being like, you're on two different monitors on two different channels right now at the same time. <laughs> it's, it's been wild trying to cover these games in that regard, but 
you know, all the guys, we get on set, and obviously I'm the traffic cop as the host there, and, uh, and all the guys do the same thing. Well, where are we going next? What are we doing? What network are we on right now? And, and Coach is the same way. He's like, all right, tell me what I'm doing now. Which, which network? What game? Because you're watching them all, and you just have to remember which audience you're talking to at that given point in time during the intermission. So it can get totally confusing when there's, you know, four games happening at once and we're waiting for the West Coast game to start. So it's, it's all of our heads have been on a swivel the entire time, but, um, but it's been funny to, to try every time we get on the set. I'm like, coach, you know, where we're going next, right? Or, hey, Sharpie, you know, they have no idea because it's just, it's, it's mayhem on the set right now. So, which makes it fun. It makes the night go by fast and we're watching playoff hockey, which is the best time of year. So. Great stuff. Catherine, we appreciate your time this morning. You know we'll reach out again as, as this thing pushes on. Hopefully the Leafs will be there, and um, especially if they get into the Final Four, uh, we'll be locked in up here. We'll All talk right. very soon. Look forward to it. You got it. Scotty, Ziggy, thanks so much. Stay safe, guys. We'll talk soon. You bet. Catherine Tappen of NBC Sports. Adnan Verk coming up on the other side, and here he is, Adnan Verk from the NHL and MLB Networks and the GM Shuffle podcast. Uh, with us each and every time this week on leadoff Sportsnet 590. The fan, we're feeling pretty good in Leafs Nation right now, Adnan. Your old stomping grounds, pal. <laughs> huh? I, I can imagine, Scotty Ziggy, I can feel the uh, roars of approval. Listen, the fact that Toronto's up 3-1, as we all know, the game four is always the most critical game of the playoff series, right? Because you go, hey, either we go up 3-1 or then it becomes a best of three. And for Toronto to have that kind of experience last night, a 4 nothing pitching a shutout, Campbell 32 saves, Galchenyuk, setting up a couple of goals against his former team. I, I can see why Leaf Nation is a, a crescendo and going into a dull roar, I'm sure, by Game 5. Well, I, I don't want to be too arrogant too soon uh, because there is still another game to win. But it, it, it taking this out on Habs fans, it's not, it's not even any fun. <laughs> well, like the thing we have missed, Scotty, of course, is the fans. I mean, God, you don't understand. I'm, I mean, sure, of course you do understand. Actually, you're watching the games like I am. You're watching these crowds in, like, you know, Florida and Nashville. Like, oh, my God, like 12,000 feels like 20,000. You go, do you understand what Toronto, Montreal is like? Like, I'm trying to grab random Americans in the street and tell them, do you understand what this rivalry is like? Do you understand what this means to these Where's people? Where's Toronto? <laughs> That's what you're getting. Montreal? Yeah, like, Where's that? We're, we're, Canada? <laughs> When they won the game two, I was on NHL Network, and the fact that we had the stat, you know, this is the first Leafs win against the playoffs versus Montreal since 1967. You're going, this is insane. This is since they last won the Cup. The amount of history that has involved these two teams, it is remarkable. And I, I think, honestly, there's so many different ways we can go with it, but it just impresses me how collectively strong Toronto's defensive effort has been. As you guys know, if you haven't followed Montreal, when you think of the Habs in general, you think of those small, fast teams, you know, the Mats Naslin, the Stefan Richets. This is a physical team. Like, they're a tough team, and yet the Leafs have completely sucked the life out of them. Like I said, to not give up a goal yesterday, really strong effort. Yeah, and somebody we've been talking about a lot is is William Nylander and, and Jack Campbell, and who's been the more important player on the team? Where do you stand with that, with, with Jack Campbell kind of running the show right now? And the player that we've all been waiting for, right? And, and William Nylander taking control of the series. It's, it's a great question, Ziggy. I'll go with Campbell just because there's so much importance to a goaltender and there was so much scrutiny and focus on him for good reason. Everyone feels great about Toronto's balanced offense, underrated defense. The question was, could Campbell hold up after having a remarkably strong regular season? And so far, he's answered all those questions with flying colors. But I, I do love the fact you mentioned Nylander because I think whenever I'm talking to these hockey analysts about all of Toronto's collective offensive talent. You know, he's the one that doesn't get mentioned right away. It's always going to be Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and John Tavares. And it's like, oh, by the way, Nealander's pretty good. Like, it's almost like he's the, the fourth wheel, the fourth beetle almost. So 
the fact that he's been contributing the way he has, he just has such flash, such offensive skill, a little bit of a panache. I mean, it's uh, it's been fun to see, and that's what you need in the playoffs. You, you can't just have your top line, and you can't have Jason Spezza sticking up all the time. We've got to have you know different teams and different um, venues stepping up, and clearly Nylander has been that guy. And and listen, sometimes that is what the playoffs are all about. It becomes like a you know coming out party. I remember the Islanders last year with with Pollock and Pellick. I'm like, oh, that, that was like their coming out party. I'm like you know this Islanders defense pairing is unbelievable. These guys play 25 minutes a night. They shut down the other teams. So I think Nylander is definitely taking the most and making the most of his moment in the sun. Well, I think I think the great thing for Nylander and the the two sides of the Nylander debate of the last few years is that the responsible criticism. I'll I'll describe it that way. The responsible criticism of Nylander was from people who see the talent and know that there was more to give more often. So we're seeing that at the most crucial time of year from a guy who's also, due to injury, lost his line mates, right? And he played with Gelchenyuk a lot in the regular season, so there's familiarity there. But there's no Tavares and there's no Felino, So he has stepped up. I liken it to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. The criticism of Vladdy, again, extremely young man who's figuring things out, but the criticism of Vladdy two years ago last year was that there's more here and that he may be the one in his own way as he tries to achieve his potential. And sure enough, he did some things in the offseason, Adnan, to put himself in a position to have the year that he's having now. William Nylander? Same thing. Um, the more there is now very apparent at the right time of year. Yeah, and you know what it is? is it, and I don't think there was necessarily trade talk around either of those guys because they're still so relatively young in their development. But it is an example of why patience is so important, particularly in professional sports. You know, we want uh, immediate satisfaction, immediate reaction. Yeah, I, I'm sure you guys saw the tweets about Vlad Jr. He went from the most overhyped prospect in baseball to the most overrated player in baseball to now the best hitter in the game. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous how there can be such a swing within a couple of years. And in the case of Nylander as well, when, when Toronto was jettisoned last year and everyone kept saying, okay, what are we going to do here? Okay, Matthews is untouchable, but are they going to trade Marner, Nylander? What's going to happen? The fact that the Leafs were smart enough to recognize that with talent, you've just got to be patient sometimes, and eventually something clicks. And when you do get that something, your patience is rewarded. And uh, he's been great. Edmonton Oilers get bounced in four games. Connor McDavid, Drysaddle. Uh, not many people had even the Jets winning the series, but never mind four straight. I've loved the Jets. Uh, I played for Maurice. I know what he's like. I know how he... When he starts talking towards the end of the season saying, I'm not concerned about my group, I really did believe him. Uh, what can you say about them and, and McDavid and Dreisaitl? Well, it's awfully disappointing. I mean, listen, Ziggy, uh, I, I really wanted Edmonton to go deep, again, because I know so many hockey fans in the States who say, well, I really just pick it up for the playoffs. That's when I really get into it. And I'm like, for so many years, people are being deprived of the greatness of Connor McDavid and, and Leon Dreisaitl. And the fact that I said, you know what, this could be a good run this year. If McDavid can get to, you know, even if it's it's a you know, quarterfinals versus the Leafs, who knows, um, that would be fun to see. And I think it's important for the game. I think you want to have your best stars showcased. And I think a lot of people have made the comparison. Oh, man, Connor McDavid really is the Mike Trout of the NHL, meaning transcendent superstar who we're never going to see in the playoffs shine. And Trout's only ever been in the playoffs once. Three-game series did not acquit himself well, but it's ridiculous to criticize him because it was only a three-game series. But for McDavid, it's like I just – I feel bad for him. I honestly, I go, you know – I. 
I could go into that series and say, fine, with Edmonton's firepower, they should be able to hang it in there. But Nurse is the only defense where they really trust. Mike Smith's 38, 39 years of age. And for McDavid and Drysaddle, for them to advance, those guys I feel like they have to score a hat trick every night. And they did not play their best. Credit to the Jets, obviously. They did a phenomenal job. Paul Maurice, great coach. We always loved him in Toronto. Great with the media. Um, it's really disappointing. And I, I don't mean to diminish the great fans of Winnipeg. Good for all the folks at Portage and Maine. But as a hockey fan, it's better for the sport the deeper your stars go. And for McDavid to get swept like that, that's pretty tough. Best when I turn on my microphone. Adnan Verk is uh, with us on leadoff Sportsnet 590. The fan. Z, you should have seen Ziggy's eyes. He's looking like, at me uh, through FaceTime. I was he like, my lips moving? And did, did my, did, Check did, my, levels did my system like, oh. crap out? No, no, it's just me still figuring out how to do things in this industry two decades in. Uh, Adnan Verk is with us on leadoff Sportsnet 590. The fan. Something to chew on brought to you by Great Canadian Meat. So Alec Manoa will make his major league debut for the Blue Jays in New York. 23 years old, by age, Adnan, he's ready. Like, there, there are guys Manoa's age who are pitching in the big leagues. But COVID wiped out the minor league season last year, so Manoa essentially has short season A ball under his belt because he was a June 19 first-round draft pick, and he has three starts for the Buffalo Bisons. I'm not so worried about him debuting at Yankee Stadium. I don't think he cares. I don't think anything scares this guy. What I wonder, though, is this team is desperate for somebody to jump in and take one of the two outstanding starting rotation spots. That's a lot to ask this kid. I don't know. Tonight isn't going to determine anything one way or the other. But over the longer haul here, it, it's a tough ask of Alec Manoa. Yeah, and this is what happens when you don't have strong starting pitching, when everyone going into the season says, hey, they're one or two injuries away here from things not working out. And when you have a lot of ifs, you have to hope that, you know, if Tanner Rohr can get back to being the guy who is an underrated number four with the Nationals, if Ross Stripling can prove the Dodgers made a mistake by giving up on him, if Robbie Ray can overcome his control problems, if Steven Matz can stay healthy. You know, those four questions, you've answered two of them. Like, okay, Matt's and Ray have worked out, but the law of percentages are all the risks you're taking are not all going to work out. And then Nate Pearson isn't healthy, and you're still waiting for him. So this is how you get a situation, which you said, like you said, Alec Manoa's in there. And for the Jays on this slump right now, I mean, listen, the last couple of losses, God, we all know when you're losing an extra innings and the Rays come back like that, that that's one of those, as my friend Tim Kirk used to say, the, the circle games. Like when you look at your schedule years from now, you say that was a circle game. That really killed our momentum, frustrated us. And conversely, sometimes you give a great win and say that's a circle game. This kind of spurred us on, and we could see how the season changed. But for a team right now that, you know, they're reeling, and, um, you know, you're, you're, you're in danger now because the Rays are on this just ridiculous run. Like when the Rays are just doing that, it's like, wait, wait, I don't understand. Like they, I was looking at their numbers. We always know their pitching is going to be really good, but the shock is just how good their offense has been. They were, they were averaging, guys, eight and a half runs per game during this 11-game win streak. I mean, that's unconscionable that they would have that kind of offense. They finally get slowed down, lose the Royals 2-1 yesterday, winning streak over. And the Jays did beat the Yankees, and that's important because they're trying to chase down New York. But it's an example and an indictment of the starting pitching and just how thin it is and how much you're expecting from other people. Again, Matt's returning to New York is, you know, best outing in two years. Great to see. Vlad, 16 home runs, awesome. But you're expecting a lot here of guys who are not necessarily ready for prime time. I wish Manoa the best. We'll do it again next week, pal. Always look forward to it. Thank you. Thanks so much, Scotty Ziggy. Take care, boys. You bet. Adnan Verk of uh, the NHL and MLB Networks and the GM Shuffle Podcast.
Dan Schulman is the play-by-play voice of the Blue Jays on Sportsnet and on Sportsnet 590. The fan, he will call Alec Manoa's debut at Yankee Stadium tonight, and we'll do our best to figure out how Charlie Montoyo and Pete Walker, the two guys in uniform, work around the pitching situation. I don't know if you looked. 6-2 to two win last night. The high-leverage relievers got used, which means they're unlikely to be available tonight. So we'll ask Dan, if the Jays have a 3-2 lead late, who the hell's going to close it out? Dan Schulman next. You listen. He drills the ball, right center field, and it is gone! He has done it again! And he is all alone atop the Major League home run leaderboard right now. Number 16 for Vladdy, and it's 2-0 Blue Jays. Yeah, Vladdy is, to his credit, just having an unbelievable season. And it is now appointment viewing. Every at-bat is appointment viewing. Last night, you got the Leafs game on TV. I had the Blue Jays game on my laptop, and every time Vladdy's up, I got eyes on Vladdy. And then it's like back and forth between that and the hockey game. It, it is appointment viewing, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, Dan Schulman, that's the voice you heard, calls the Blue Jays games on Sportsnet, Sportsnet 590, the fan, and he's with us now. The kid is something, huh? Like it is something. He, he deserves really all the credit in the world, Dan, because like he's so young, and sometimes it takes guys a little bit of time to figure it out. But it was clear he had to put some effort in to get his body right and maybe even his mind right in the off season. And whatever he did, man, is it working? Yep. And whatever he did, do it again this winter, Vladdy. I keep doing it, but. Uh, obviously, you know, losing the weight, the conditioning, that's a big part of it. There's no denying that. But I think just as important, Scotty, to be honest with you, is his approach at the plate is just so advanced for a guy his age. And, and I don't know if that sounds like word salad to people, but I, I, I don't think it is. You know, he's not just up there trying to pull the ball and hit it nine miles every time. Um, he knows what he's doing. He's measuring pitchers. He's gathering information. He's taking close pitches. Um, you know, if it's a, a slider down and away and all he can do with it is line it to right center and it's a two strike count, he's going to line it to right center. I, I mean, he is, he's, he's a very cerebral advanced hitter. And I think his talent is so overwhelming that he's not getting quite enough credit for what he's doing up there with his mind. And, and I think his mind is very advanced uh, at the plate as well. And so you put the whole package together and we're talking about a 22 year old kid who right now at this moment might be the best hitter in baseball. Are teams now considering not pitching to Vladdy or, you know, coming in with high heat, high inside heat where you don't mind if you walk them? Or is this lineup just too good to do that? It's a little of this, a little of that. I don't know off the top of my head how many times he's been intentionally walked this year. I would guess Mm -hmm. three, four, three or four, something like that. But um, we were talking about it last night. There was a situation where Guerrero came up second and third, two outs middle innings. I can't remember the exact inning. And before I could even say to Buck, Hey, do you think there's a chance they're going to walk him here? They pitched to him and he grounded out on the first pitch. And that mm-hmm. to me is a tremendous sign of respect for Teoscar Hernandez, the guy hitting behind him, who's no slouch. I mean, he's one of the better hitters in baseball too. So I was surprised. 
I thought they were going to put Vladdy on because at that point he had walked and singled and homered. Uh, and I thought for sure they were going to put him on. So I, I think, Ziggy, it depends on how Teoscar does. And, and you know, then if you want to get a little further down the, hey, this would be fun road, you know, whenever Springer comes back, and I have no idea when that is, but whenever Springer comes back, if he goes to leadoff, say Marcus Simeon, who's another hot hitter, drops down to the fifth spot in the order. I mean, now it's getting really, you know, really uh, terrific in terms of the depth of that lineup. So uh, it's nice to see. And just as important, I think, you know, Guriel's bat has come around a little bit. So they're getting a little bit more from the bottom of the lineup. Uh, offensively, they're going to be fine. Uh, as long as they get healthy, they're going to be fine offensively. Dan Schulman, our guest on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. The, just as an aside on the Springer thing, they, they've already said he's going to need a rehab assignment. That makes total sense. We're going to push toward the all-star break here, Dan. It, and unless he's out on a rehab assignment in the next week, mm-hmm. like this has not gone according to plan. Not even close. And again, I, I don't have any inside information as to why, if, did something go wrong? Did he push it too hard and create a, a more serious injury? I, like, I, I'd love to offer all kinds of insight. I, I have no idea, and, and I don't know that anybody does. So, um, you know, the, a, a couple of things. It's been odd for a while. Like, originally, remember, it was the oblique injury, and he did a Zoom with the media at, like, 1 o'clock in the afternoon one day during spring training and said he felt great. He ran the bases and felt great. And then three hours later, we were told he had an MRI on his quad. Mm-hmm. And, like, the quad had never even come up before. Um, you know, and when they brought him back, I think they had a plan to ease him back in. You know, DH couple days play center, DH couple days play center. Um, I, I don't know if he forced his way back into the lineup because he was, you know, just anxious and wanted to get back in there and frustrated. Uh, we, we don't have the answers, and we're not going to get the answers. So, at this point, it's one of those it is what it is kind of things, and and I'm hoping he's back in a couple of weeks. But really, we don't know. As you say, I once he goes out on a rehab assignment, I got to believe it's at least a week. And the last thing I heard, which was maybe two days ago, was doing some light running. And again, I've never had a quad injury. I'm not saying it's not serious. I don't know what it feels like. None of us knows what he's feeling. Um, but they they could use him because the pitching staff will have its high points and its low points. But they're going to have to win some games, seven to six and nine to seven this year, and that means they're going to need all the offense they can get. And Springer's a part of that. Yeah, and I'm not going to play doctor on the radio. Is the is is any part of the oblique attached to any part of the upper legs? Is, is are we dealing with a bigger core injury? I mean, who knows? It just it's it's just been yeah. so weird. So I, I'm I'm also going to put you on the spot with this. Uh, pretend you're the manager for a moment. Uh, and I'm not burying the Manoa lead much further, but I do want to ask you this. Blue Jays 4, Yankees 2, heading to the bottom of the eighth inning tonight. Who's getting you the final six outs, Dan Schulman? Um, so I'm going to say Romano is unavailable because I believe he's pitched two consecutive days. So I'm going to say Romano is unavailable. If Chatwood is available, uh, because he pitched last night, not the day before, yes, the day before that, if Chatwood is available, I could see it being Chatwood to Dolis. If Chatwood is not available, it could be Cole to Dolis. It could be Castro to Dolis. Those would be 
Uh, or, you know, Manoa could make it easy on everybody and go eight. That, that's my, that's, that's my decision as manager. <laughs> Wouldn't that be lovely? Yes. I'll tell you as what. As manager, that is what I want. I'll tell you what. Um, we're not going to be making any bold proclamations one way or the other about Alec Manoa based on what happens tonight, even if we want to go way overboard with praise if he goes eight innings. Uh, but... There is a reason to be excited here. This is representative of what is to come. We should be hesitant and remind everyone, though, that the path isn't always smooth. Right. So, and, so we need to be fair to the kid in how we assess this over the next little bit. Yeah, uh, and it's not just Alec Manoa or Nate Pearson. Go back and look at so many of the great pitchers and the bumps they had. Along the way, look at like Roy Halladay's as good an example uh, as there was for different reasons. But um, it was a bumpy two or three years for Halladay. And then he went back down to a ball and came back as one of the best pitchers in baseball. So ideally, in a perfect world, I don't think he's here now. Uh, yes, he's earned it. He's pitched great. He's had, you know, three fantastic starts at AAA, but it's that's not a ton. Um, I think they'd love to have waited two, three, four more starts, but they've, they've got a need. They've got a hole they can't fill any other way. So you're right. Whether he's great or whether it doesn't go well, uh, this is not going to uh, impact the overall value of his career, whatever happens tonight. And as, of a lot, as a lot of people have said, if it doesn't go poorly and that you know scars him long-term, then he was never going to make it anyways, right? And, and that's not who he is. Um, I only know him from Zoom calls and interviews, but I'll tell you, this is one of the most at ease, outgoing, uh, comfortable in his own skin, confident kids I have seen in a long, long time. And I'm not just saying that it's, it's, he's something else. He really is. And, and people will um, be uh, really interested, not only in his stuff, but also in his mound presence tonight. Uh, I hope he does well. I'm excited to see it. I hope he sticks. I hope he's up the rest of the season. It would be great for him. They need it. And and just one last thing, when we talk about only 35 minor league innings, and I understand that, but I don't I don't think we should give him no value for the alt site last year. Um, that's two months pitching against a lot of guys who had been in the majors. You know, in a two-month span, he would have made 10 starts, 50, 60 innings. Uh, like, I, I think it counts for something. And uh, again, he's kind of forced their hand. They could have started him at, at double A and nobody would have said, Hey, why is he starting at double A? Because he was at low A two years ago. They started him at triple A. He impressed them enough in the off season and at the alt site and in spring training where they said, we're putting you at triple A. Uh, he kind of forced their hand and they went along with it. So, you know, everybody's kind of, uh, on board with this right now. And, and, uh, here, here's hoping he does well tonight. I think it says a lot about where you bring a young prospect in. And just, just from my experience, do you bring him in against the best team in their rink or their ballpark, or do you play him at home against someone that's going to not make the playoffs and is struggling this season? So do you see it that way, or is this part of we need a guy right now to come in and make an impact? Yeah, I, I think that's part of it. Part of it without question is we need a guy. Um, I yeah. think, again, if they could have waited, they're in a really, really tough part of their schedule, and I'm sure I've said it with you guys. June 18th to me is like the day that everybody should circle on their calendar. Um, that's when they come out of the, tar uh, the toughest part of their schedule and they start playing the Orioles a lot and they start playing the Tigers and the Twins and the Marlins, et cetera. So, um, but I don't think they could wait till June 18th. They could have waited one more start and started him 
against Cleveland on Sunday, let's say, and not have them start against the Yankees. The funny thing, though, about the Yankees is they're actually not swinging the bats very well right now. They're they're bottom half of the majors in uh, uh, slugging percentage, OPS, et cetera, et cetera. They've been good mostly because of their pitching. So it's kind of a a two-sided thing. I, I think they would have liked to have waited, but I don't think they could have. And given that he mowed down many of these same Yankees in spring training a couple of times, I think they feel okay with it. I think they feel he can handle it. He's got big shoulders. He's confident. They need a guy. They, they weren't willing to throw Anthony Kay out there for another divisional game. They got to end losing streaks. So I, I, I think the pluses outweighed the minuses in the mind of the front office. Uh, Dan, before we let you go, I should say in, in the constant hunt throughout professional sports for market inefficiencies, your Green Bay Packers have hit on something. Nobody is going to know their playbook if none of their starters show up to organize team activities in, in, in late May, early June to run it. Good for them. I, I know. Well, and, and that's, you, you know, on the flip side of the coin is how will the other guys know what we're doing if we don't even know what we're doing? <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's no way they're going to be, uh, you, you know, one step ahead of us because we don't even know. We're not even one step ahead of us. But, um, yeah, I'm trying to decide if it was coincidence that none of the wide receivers showed up to or solidarity. Um, I, I'm just glad that you and Arash are getting so much enjoyment out of my pain. That, that's that's really what makes me happy at the end of the day. I'll just keep putting us in our place online when we uh, <laughs> when we take runs at you. You're I always... never started. Ne- well, maybe once I did, but I rarely started. But as I as I said to Arash, this could work out really really well for you, but maybe not. Like uh, gloat at your own peril here. Just... There's a there's a chance they all hug and make up and we go 14 and three, 17 game season. We go 14 and three and, and beat the Vikings a couple of times. And, and I think the Packers play the 49ers Sunday night, this year, Sunday right? night, yeah, yeah, Sunday yeah. night, week three. All right. I look, well, I, I might be unavailable for a radio hit the week following depends on how it goes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Oh no. It'll be in September. We'll still be doing our weekly baseball. Yeah, hits. there. Yeah, yeah. there you, go. Go. you never know. Yeah, Colin yeah. sick. Well, I mean, just remember it. You've been around sports long enough to know it's never the initiator, it's the retaliator who gets penalized. So it all depends on how you handle handle it when a rash or I come at you online. We'll do it again next week. Always look forward to it. All right, guys. Have a good one. Dan Schulman, uh, the uh, play-by-play voice of your Toronto Blue Jays on Sportsnet. So an Alec Manoa debut tonight, Ziggy, which I think is going to have a lot of attention in this market because the NHL is American based tonight. So we can focus back in on the blue Jays mm-hmm. looking ahead to the Leafs and Habs tomorrow night. Uh, this is, it's always fun watching a major league debut or the debut of anybody who's such a, or, or at least profiled to be such a big part of a team's future. I think he can handle this situation. And I know that's going to be the talk the rest of the day is you're going to go into Yankee stadium. What's it going to be like? You have a young prospect that could have waited another start and had him in a more, comfortable situation but I think that says something to him um you know just the confidence level of a prospect and and where he is where his maturity level is um and I find that interesting so the the Jays obviously know something uh I know we can't be around the team but that all of us don't know and that's just a sign of confidence in your organization where you can do something with your prospect where if it doesn't go to plan He's going to be okay. That's what this says to me tonight. Stewie and Bourne at 8.30 tomorrow morning. We'll be all over the Leafs and the Habs. Kevin Barker for the full half hour at 7.30. We'll be talking about Alec Manoa's major league debut in the state of the Blue Jays. Good show is next. 
Happy hump day. That's a big back end.